0: Call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 64 of Call It Friendly, the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself and DJ Richie and my co-host Anika Tiernan watch the films of Australian director Justin Kurzell. We briefly talk about his first three films, Snowtown, Macbeth and Assassin's Creed, before heading into a longer discussion of his two most recent films, True History of the Kelly Gang from 2019 and Nitram from 2021. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations. That's not an intimate examination of a character or event in Australian history. This is an intimate examination of a character or event in Australian history. Yeah, I'm sorry about that.
1: Okay, you good? You having a good week? I
0: am. Yeah, I'm having a good week. Although I, the main thing that I've done this week has been watching the films of Justin Kurzel.
1: Yeah, I haven't watched a whole lot else besides that. That and training videos for my new job has been my main um, 2D diet, let's say. Uh, yeah, but I I didn't watch all of them. I had watched um, I had watched two before, and I rewatched one of those. So I've watched four Justin Chrizel's this week.
0: What was the other one? So I know you'd already watched Snowtime before. What was the other film you'd seen?
1: I had seen Macbeth, and I only realized oh. I only realized it when I started watching it. I went to see it in um, Verdi when it came out. I think.
0: Well, I hadn't seen any of Curzel's films and I watched basically his entire filmography. I know he did part of another film back in 2013 of a, a kind of anthology type thing, but mm. he's got five feature films that he directed and I watched all of them in chronological order. Yeah. Do you think anyone else in the world has ever done that <laughs> in one week?
1: Um, no, maybe that's your um, Natalie Portman from Garden State thing.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly that do you know while i was watching the films yeah. i was sitting on my bed going yeah. and going no one's ever done this before and then i called up zach braff and i was like i love <laughs> you but you're depressed do you know what um then i had a funeral for a hamster go ahead
1: for the uh for the persistent hatred that we pour on that film it's gotten a fair <laughs> load of referencing on this podcast and
0: I can remember it very clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being... This just I, on I hated a, that <laughs> on particularly, though. <laughs> just on a tangent here, I remember being at like Glastonbury back in 2005, and they were showing that on a on a big screen. And there was a ton of people watching it, and they were way into it.
1: Yeah. Back then, that kind of thing hadn't become twee just yet, you know? Mm. But I do remember mm. I was into indie films, When around that came out and even me who was you know at the you know the right age and everything to be into the indie films i remember watching that and particularly that moment and just going oh well fuck this that is
0: (laughs) absurd it was bad in 2004 Mm -hmm. or
1: whenever it was already i feel like i learned all i needed to know about zach braff from that film I feel like I've learned a thing or two about Justin Kurzel this week. Uh, I like uh, The first I knew of him was when Michael Fassbender doubled down on him to have him direct Assassin's Creed, mm-hmm. having worked with him on Macbeth. I remember reading that news. And I saw Macbeth in the cinema, and I enjoyed it well enough. And then I ordered uh, The True History of the Kelly Gang on the strength of the news that that's what he would be adapting next. And I read that. I enjoyed it immensely, then thought very little about Justin Kurtzell until my younger brother strongly recommended I check out his debut film, Snowtown, which I did in the middle of the night as I attempted to get my young baby back to sleep.
0: Some of these films, uh, they, they really... I mean, you've got a lot to look forward to of when your child grows up because these are all the different options of what a human can become. You can become hmm. a murderer, you can become a victim of murder, You can go crazy with power. You can be an assassin and fight against the Templars. You can be a kind of outlaw hero and cross-dress. These are all the things that you can do. Yeah. So you've got your child's path.
1: But I had a lady, you see.
0: Ah, Lady Macbeth.
1: Indeed, yeah.
0: Uh, This damned spot.
1: Oh, yes, that's right. That was good, that scene.
0: The way that this was set out was I chose Nitram... Mm. Uh, Justin Curzell's latest film from last year you paired it with True History of the Kelly Gang from, uh, from 2019 but then I've, I'm i going to say foolishly decided to watch Curzell's entire, entire filmography so maybe we can just go through Snowtown, Macbeth and Assassin's Creed and and say a couple of, of words about them uh, I don't remember what you said about Snowtown originally when you watched it except <laughs> that he, it,
1: it, it was hard going The last time I recall having such an adverse reaction to a film was watching Requiem for a Dream as a young teenager. Uh, Now, Snowtown is a film with, in my opinion, more to offer than Requiem for a Dream, but I would watch Requiem for a Dream on a loop before even the first 10 minutes of Snowtown again. I mean, fair enough, the first 10 minutes of Snowtown are particularly brutal. Snowtown is as frank a telling of real-life degradation and evil as you are likely to see. It's based on um, a real series of killings with a very inventive name, but I can't remember it now. The uh, bodies in the, the bins. Snowtown killings. No, the the body <laughs> bodies in bin murders, I think, or something like the that. the ones
0: that got killed and put into big barrelly things. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's based on that series of killings, and it's carried. Uh, they were carried out by a man called John Bunting and two accomplices. He seemed to have groomed to the task. And when examining the like horrific events that led up to the murders, Kersal does not blink, and that. Coupled with the performances he gets, which at this point seems like a a rule with him, He's, he's good at that. It's safe to say he's a directorial force to be reckoned with. I'd say when I had only watched Snowtown, the question as to whether he leaned more important or entertaining was still up in the air. For me, Snowtown is, like, utterly compelling, but the frankness with which it depicts the scenes of, like, abuse and murder, I mean... The phrase "the banality of evil" comes to mind is not something I'd ever want to watch again. Nor could I, in good conscience, recommend it to anyone. I would say, which I don't know how Justin Kersell would take that approximation, but that's what I have to offer. How did you feel about it?
0: I thought it was a it was a fun, family friendly romp. I enjoyed it. That was uh, very optimistic and positive, positive. Mm. and it made me feel good. It just it's one of those heartwarming tales about. Uh, Sibling rape and pedophiles and people that murder murder gay people. That this scene
1: where his brother rapes him and how that is shot is just, I mean, good God, it's up there with that film that made Gaspar Noe fr- famous as far as I'm concerned. it It's just so numb and like not sensationalized, but just matter of fact, it's... It, Intensely, intensely disturbing that scene.
0: I find myself multiple times throughout the film like audibly saying no, <laughs> just going no.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I can recall <laughs> the same the thing. Film. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> like five minutes into it, the neighbor has these has the three kids stripped down to their pants and he starts taking photos of them.
1: Yeah, and that is And then
0: it can it gets worse from there, but I just went, No. No.
1: <laughs> that is is it as well. It's done with that same sort of frankness that is just like it just happens. There you are. This is happening. Mm -hmm. And good luck to you because this happened and it's happening in front of you right now. And you just kind of like the first thing you see is, okay, so you're seeing it through a camera lens and then the boys are, yeah, the boys are naked and it just takes you two or three seconds to click because it's like, you know, pedophilia isn't, it doesn't happen the way it, you traditionally see it in movies. It happens like that. And it's, W- worse for it, it uh, oh my like it's really really tough going that film
0: is that do you, i mean do you think that's justin curzell and, and sean grant the screenwriter is that their idea with snowtown and with nitram as well as just these things happened and these things happen and we just want to portray them as accurately as possible
1: i think they're both i think he pays particularly uh, close attention to the events out of respect would be my theory. But I think they're both character studies more than anything else. In particular, it's a character study of John Bunting. And well, like, to be fair, for anything I might say against I'm not really saying things against Snowtown. I'm, I'm saying, you know, it did its job and I won't be watching it again. But I forget his name now, but that um, Daniel Henshaw. My God, what a performance. He's, you can't stop watching him. No, I mean, it's like He's unreal. It's incredible that performance. I'm just the, uh, I Like, I don't know, but I, I've sometimes, uh, you know, read psychology as ju- like, you know, just, just out of interest and stuff. And there's a profile name for people like that that are just ba- like, I mean, that's your atypical victim of molestation turned serial killer, which I know is exactly what he is. But it's just that the just sheer anger and the talking
0: f- about the character here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. The sheer <laughs> anger and just the <clears throat> the force of will. And then actually, yeah, you said you watched an interview with him and he was a really nice guy, which I had a similar surprise.
0: Very I, sensitive.
1: I had a similar response to watching an interview with Justin Kurzel. I was like, that guy seems like a nice neighbor.
0: Daniel Henschel was, he was talking about his mom watching Snowtown and saying there were certain points where this anger flashed across his face and she said, I've seen that before. So there's something in him. Mm-hmm. Like he has that rage within him, but... He also, he seems, he's very softly spoken, very sensitive.
1: It's an incredible performance. He hasn't done much on the big stage since, I I feel.
0: He was in that show Turn for a few seasons. I think it's an AMC show about the Revolutionary War.
1: Okay, not bad.
0: Yeah, I don't know much about it. I think Jamie Bell might be in it as well. He's, he's one of the leads in it. Daniel okay. Angel. I think the one person, I was just going to go off on a bit of a tangent again mm. and just say, I think the one person who comes out the best out of all of Justin Curzel's films is probably his brother Jed, who does the scores.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, not as noteworthy on, well, for me anyway, not as memorable. You're more attuned to this kind of thing on the likes of Snowtown or even Nitrum. But on uh, Macbeth, Assassin's Creed and the Kelly Gang. Wow. Yeah, there he really shows up and that's saying something nitram i Nitra didn't
0: pay much attention to the score but mm. in snowtown definitely it's really really atmospheric
1: it's been a, like i said it's been a, a while since i watched it. i won't be watching it again but I, having watched those <laughs> other other having watched those other three this week um yeah he, like he's and to be fair with something like assassin's creed which we'll get to he does have his fucking work cut out for him what did you make of macbeth
0: I don't know that I've seen any other uh, film version of Macbeth or TV version. I know that we talked a little that the, the uh, Cohen Brothers film is out now, but mm. I think this is the first visual representation of it that I've seen. I, I studied the play at school, and uh, I, I was very impressed by this. Uh, what I particularly liked about it were some of the filming locations. I mean, you've got Michael Fassbender riding a horse on the Isle of Skye. They use Bamburgh Castle in the north of England to represent Cawdor. Um, the sh- things that were like filmed in the woods, I just thought they they used filming locations in the UK extremely well. Mm. The accents didn't bother me. I saw that people got knocked quite a bit for that. I mean, Thealess and Sean like? Harris, yeah, Thealess and Sean Harris are high enough quality that it supersedes accent as far as I'm concerned. Marion Cotillard doing Shakespeare in a second language, I give her a pass. I don't care. Yeah, like she sounds English in it. Fine, she's doing it in her second language. Like that's fair enough. I thought Fastbender's accent was completely fine. There were some arguments I I again, some criticism that they mumbled their lines. I didn't notice that. I watched it with subtitles on as always. Yeah, me too. Um so I enjoyed that. That was f- that was all good. Yeah, I think things like showing ghosts, I think that w- they managed to portray that quite well in a sort of gritty, realistic way. The imagery is what I would want a Witcher TV series to look like. I- I've only seen one episode of The Witcher.
1: Uh, that's this unfair. Is what
0: I, this is what I would want it to look like. Well, this is a question: Does it look like this in
1: in parts? No. Well, I suppose in the scarier bits. Yeah, mm. maybe. I actually got. I got my copy of of that game, and I've. Uh, I'm going to tidy my office, and I've penciled aside three hours to play it later <laughs> when my lady leaves the house. Just uh, on a side note, there. Um, no, it does not. Uh, I get what you're saying, but I think at the. I think at the same time, I mean, The Witcher is is a bit of crack, too, you know? It's certainly not as dour as something like Macbeth.
0: I want some of that dourness. Just from having played the games, I just want Mm. elements of that. There's large parts of of Witcher 3 there, just, you know, brutality of hanged men in trees and peasants there in war-torn villages.
1: Macbeth, though, I mean, in his... Certainly after Snowtown, I found it to be much more my speed. Uh, it's like my favourite Shakespeare play, for one, and um, it stars the uncrowned king of Ireland, Michael Fassbender, for two. But, um, yeah, I feel... I don't know. I, I couldn't find much on the production of this, but I feel Curzel might have been sought out for the kind of, like, unblinking character work that made Snowtown so tough to watch. It's really Macbeth where you could say he showed his... Full directorial hand for the first time let's say but because i mean it is unblinking and that's a big theme in in the play of macbeth is the physical de- deterioration that comes with suffering like that it has a bit of bit of the crime and punishments to it but um when i say like he showed his hand for the first time i mean yeah fair enough the for the performance are once the performances are once again great but even they are yeah dwarfed by how visually spectacular the film is. I don't think there's much point in anyone watching Shakespeare without a little familiarity generally. But I'd say Macbeth, on this instance, is one that could could actually surprise people. Like, Macbeth does some fucked up stuff throughout. Um, but to, to say the least, I'm not telling any tales out of school, I don't think, but I think, actually, like, unusually for me, Lady Macbeth's death actually carried a legitimately heavy impact that like whacks the film off balance in a way that I I suppose a lot of Shakespeare adaptations must seem to consider beyond achievement just because, you know, I mean, everybody knows what happens. It's Shakespeare, etc. But I I feel like both through visual tricks and guiding the performance as well, I, I think that this like really, the energy of the film evolves along with the plot in a way that's like satisfying to the text. I liked it a lot.
0: It's hard to buy Marion Cotillard as a Scottish lady. I mean, just from what she looks like.
1: Yeah, but I mean, I'll say it again. It's just like, you know, Shakespeare is in Storyland. You know what I mean? This is... I just mean like, she's, she's too beautiful. Oh, right. Fair enough. She's too good looking. <laughs> <laughs> the of the film, I was
0: like, where's she?
1: She is a beautiful lady. She's uh, even beautiful in... Um, here's a classic segue. In Ass Ass in's Creed.
0: I did just want to say one other thing about Macbeth. I, I enjoyed that they had a nice sprinkling of real Scottish people throughout the cast, who would just turn up every so often and go like, "Aye, all right, aye, we're gonna take you down to Glasgow."
1: Just like, okay. There was a bit. The of other that thing going that I enjoyed on,
0: yeah. the the, uh, the script was co written by Todd Luiso, Dick, the bald record store clerk from High Fidelity.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And also the male nanny from Jerry Maguire. Good on you. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, like you were saying, maybe they sought out Curzel. I assume it was just because of Snowtown. Yeah. That people were like, hey, he can bring his gritty realism to uh to Macbeth. And they I mean they heavily sexualized it with uh Cotillard and Fassbender's interactions as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a, there's a nice bit of rumpity pumpity in there. Um, I, it strikes me as something like what it went on with the, the likes of Drive and Only God Forgives in that, like, I would imagine Fassbender had control of this first and sought out Carcel.
0: That's what happened with Assassin's Creed, definitely.
1: Indeed, yeah, which is a total fucking turkey, I hope we can agree.
0: <laughs> uh, how many, uh, I keep wanting to call it Ask to Assassin's Creed, how many Assassin's Creed games have you played?
1: Um,
0: three, yeah. I played Five. You played the early ones right because I've more played I've played later ones,
1: yeah, I played the first two and I played the one where you're a Native American
0: if someone asked me to explain the plot of Assassin's Creed of the game series mm. i don't I, I mean I can explain the basics it's like you've got the assassins who are like Isis are fighting the Templars who are like the Tory party, and there's some they're <laughs> they're trying to take control of of the of people's free will but mm. then also it's all based on there's this ancient civilization called isu or isu that like thousands of years in the past fought each other and they had these pieces of eden that are like at, at, like that's what i've i've guarded that like from the games that i've played i i never played those games for the plot because yeah it often this the story is this was the awful
1: like I played the I replayed the Ezio trilogy last year and that has a that has a really good compelling story mm-hmm. his father dies and there's vengeance and stuff like that and I, I get quite into that but like still as much as I enjoyed it replaying it it's like why Ubisoft it's Ubisoft isn't it like in the games yeah. and the films alike. like in
0: Ubisoft s- Ubisoft
1: <laughs> why do they insist on the modern day sci-fi framing device I'll never fucking know it's like with the games this would have been fine maybe even good, actually, without them. Like, the past parkour scenes, let's call them, like, have at least a little something going to, going for them, but, like, anything, fucking anything in the present or future or whatever it is has about as much energy and quality of dialogue as a 1990s video game cutscene. Like, and as well, <laughs> Sh- Charlotte Rampling, Brendan Gleeson, Michael K. Williams... All, no, yeah, of, all of not. these fit the category of there for some reason, <laughs> and they all. I f- hope
0: it was a good payday. They all phone it 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 in appropriately. They
1: all phone it in gloriously. So God bless. Them. I hope
0: that Omar made some money off of this. This
1: is it. This is like means uh, Brendan Gleeson can pay for his second house in Clare and go back working for John Michael McDonough and complete that trilogy. Like, um, and what's worse, what's worse about this is I could have guessed. I should have known better. This is the last time I'm watching something. Just to be a completist despite the uh, <laughs> despite the out and out consensus. Cause this is there's
0: just... a, yeah, there's a lot of evidence that this was going to be horrendous.
1: This was terrible, wasn't it? What did you make of it?
0: <laughs> if I had to watch this again or Chronicles of Riddick, I think I'd go with Chronicles of Riddick. That's yeah. how bad this was. Yeah. Chronicles of Riddick's got more personality. It's got more going on. It's got more of a plot. It's got that this fun has almost bit no where no the
1: lady tries to rape Vin Diesel. Oh
0: yeah. That was fun. <laughs> was, uh, yeah. yeah, this was just. <laughs> I have no idea what was going on in this, and I, I consider myself reasonably well versed in the universe of Assassin's Creed, and I was still watching it, going like, "Who is this for?" I, I couldn't care about this. I'd hate to think someone who had no familiarity with the games who watched this, yeah, must, have, right. must have wanted to kill themselves. Right, if they were in the cinema. I mean, they must have. I. They, how, so many people must have walked out of this just because. Like, yeah, there's no way they could have known what was going on. Here's some credit I'll give.
1: Like, a filmmaker of Justin Curzill's abilities, you know, I almost said paycheck there. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like. But I mean, you know, fair enough. He did bring a visual sensibility to this. I can only gather that they must have insisted on the script in some way. And the script... Like, the structuring in the script, which all falls under the script as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's got, I think, three or four names behind it. You know, implication of heavy-handedness. But, like, some of the dialogue, particularly dialogue delivered by Jeremy Irons, is unbelievably bad. Unbelievably bad. I mean, it's the reason you hire actors to try and make this stuff not sound ridiculous. There's a scene where he's talking to Charlotte Rampling. She's trying to shut down the project. And he says uh, stuff like... um well, we've tried everything to control the people's minds. We've tried politics, religion. <laughs> Why not give science a try? It's it's unbelievably bad. Like how it passed the bar, you one would never know. I suppose a lot of the time with these kind of adaptations, they're banking on the popularity of the game. But like you know, I mean, there was a t- I, as far as I know, they had planned a trilogy of these. But sure, I suppose around the time this was coming out, everybody was planning a trilogy in a shared universe for everything. So that's hardly surprising. But still, man. God, this was a turkey. This is terrible.
0: The ending of this film is mental. Because yes! it's set up directly for a sequel. It has no ending, really. They're like, Girl, I'll get you in the next film.
1: Oh, God, it's very bad. Madness,
0: madness. The other insane, baffling choice, which I think a lot of people criticized at the time... Was the choice to change the animus the thing that they used to to send someone back to memories of the past mm. in the games it's like it's like a chair uh, well yeah, or like in the most modern games it's like a little a little chamber thing like a coffin that you get inside, and you just you plug it into your veins type thing, but for some reason they decided in this to make it like a weird arm, a metallic hook thing like a Doc Ock crane yeah. that Fassbender is... <laughs> I don't know why they felt the need to show us his physical actions in the modern-day real world that he was doing, like playing the game in the past. It's just madness. But, As, again, it's not from... They said that they wanted to avoid any confusion or a comparison with the Matrix films.
1: Let's say uh, you're trying to sell me on this. Can you think of any reason why they would include the bookmarking thing? Why not just set it in the past?
0: Well, because it's Assassin's Creed. I, I mean, you're talking about that's like a criticism of the games, though. Yes, it is. They, uh, but then I think what happened with the games is it just it got tied into that. Like the person who wrote the first, who, the writers of the first game came up with this concept, and then they just expanded the universe, and they were stuck with it. The last three games of the series have very little modern day elements to them at all. Yeah, could- and they should have they should have re they should have released those under a completely different like
1: uh, like banner. You just want to be fucking around in the past, like you know. There's never any actual gameplay in the present or anything. And then I think I would imagine the present day stuff is is over half of this film, isn't it? At least, yeah. Anyway, fuck this. It,
0: it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. know. it doesn't make sense. I thought Korzel scores quite good, even still. Yes. Uh, the other thing that was quite good is the cinematography. It was photographed by Adam Arkapaw, who did um, Snowtown and Macbeth. He also did True Detective season one and that famous ah. long take mm. with Carrie Fukunaga.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it is shot like the problems in this are all script, are all dialogue and structure. As far as I'm concerned,
0: has there ever been so sharp a decline in writing quality from Shakespeare to Assassin's Creed? <laughs> <laughs> it's mad. It's a good Shakespeare point. to Ubisoft.
1: I mean, based on that, you've got the
0: same leads.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. You
0: wouldn't believe that they were the same people.
1: No. No, and even there's okay there's a cer- there's a certain je ne sais quoi let us say to the um, cinematography, but Curzel's but Kurzel's camera placement is completely gone video gamey. it's all giant swoops and eagles and shit like that it's a different it's a different thing entirely
0: at least in the games you have control that was the worst part of this is like. In the games, you can. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I often I skip the cutscenes in in these games often because yeah. they're so poorly written. Yeah, I don't do that when I when I play like a good one player story game. I watch all the cutscenes because it's like watching a film that you can control and move around. But Assassin's Creed, I'm like I'm like just get me to the gameplay part. Oh, do
1: you know what's one other? Sorry, I don't need to see
0: this shit before right.
1: even moving on. One, like just other, like th- this is your this is your grand example of the heavy handedness when they had to include the Leap of Faith shit. And it just, (laughs) what is this? Like, it makes no sense at all.
0: Yeah, the stuff with the knife, the Leap of Faith, the parkour. Someone said it was one of the better video game adaptations. Incorrect. Yeah, I I mean, it's just horrendous. It's a horrendous film, but I hope... uh, Give me Street Fighter any day. I hope that Justin Theroux got well paid. It was 125 million budget, but it only grossed it grossed 250 million. Not bad. Which is pretty impressive considering how awful it is. Mm. That's you know, that's not a terrible amount of money. But then, well, so games that make was far more in, money
1: than films. You know, so mm. they had that. So going those for it. two
0: films came out back to back in 2015 and 2016, and then Theroux had a, a few years of a gap, three year gap before making True History of the Kelly Gang. Mm. He said beforehand that he was really frustrated with his position and with his where his career was going so he wanted to get back on track with something a little closer to his roots and he envisioned this story as being like a kind of punk story infused with some of his own personal anger about how things were going
1: which it totally is i mean like it's a thoroughly appropriate next step after such a misfire fart in hollywood like i read the book for this as i mentioned and the book is fucking brilliant i think it actually won a booker prize um, he did, yeah. And the, I
0: think the author is one of the only is like a group yeah, he of won it five twice.
1: authors who's won. Yeah, he's won it twice. He won it in the late eighties as well. I haven't read the book, but I would. I mean, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, the film captures more or less the essence of the book with some aesthetic choices that you would like. It's very punk rock that will either like work for you or they won't. Much like um, Sofia Coppola's *Marie Antoinette*, for example, or um, the early films of what's his name, uh, Alex Cox particularly something like Walker, the one with um, Ed, 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 bad guy from history of violence. Ed, I'm lo- Ed Harris. Yeah, it is. It's a punk rock film, uh, for sure. Like George Mackay in large parts of the film is actually dressed identical to Joe Strummer from a famous 1977 Rock Against Racism concert. And I, that can't have been an accident. Like, you know,
0: I wasn't a big fan of this one at all. Really? I wasn't. A b- yeah, I didn't. I didn't care for it at all. I mean, I did. There's, there's, there's some nice drone shots when mm. people are horseback riding out in the countryside. I like some of that. Mm. I like some of the visual imagery. I thought the last thirty minutes was quite interesting. Mm. Uh, although the strobe lighting effects, I had to turn away from the screen yeah. for a period. I, I've never watched any Alex Cox films just because I, I I'm not into punk music particularly. They're much better and, than
1: this. Yeah. I'll say that. They yeah,
0: are... I, I can imagine that, but like, yeah, I, I would like to eventually watch Sid and Nancy. But the one that he, what's the one that he made in the south of Spain, Straight to Hell, is that what it's called? Straight I, to Hell, just, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, that's I've never seen that film, but that's kind of what I imagine that that this is you know is similar to that. Uh, you mentioned Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. I didn't care for that film either. Mm. I really didn't like that. So it could just be I don't like this kind of. Artistic, uh, anachronistic telling of kind of folk tales or, or histo- with some kind of historical setting. Well, uh, my, my two know.
1: cents would be something different. I would think, like, I, right, I acted surprised there, but to be honest, this wasn't really for me either. Structurally, I think it's Kurtzell's most straightforward film by far, um, discounting the literal Shakespearean tragedy. And um, while I can sort of see the thematic cross over between this and his other films, I'd rather it brought some of the grit from the other films as well. Like, I, to, with stories like this, to be honest, give me fucking Heath Ledger's Ned Kelly any day of the week quite frankly, which I really enjoy as a film. I think that's really good. I <laughs> I feel I'm hopping in more now to defend uh, the early films of Alex Cox, which I really, really like. And I'd, you should watch Repo... Well, I
0: haven't seen them, so...
1: You should watch Repo Man. Repo Man is great. And I really like Walker as well, although that gets a, an awful lot of slack.
0: It's uh, in the same universe as Walker, Texas Ranger. Yes. Okay. Origin I'll, story. I'll watch it. Origin story. Yeah, yeah, nice. for sure. This is prior to joining the Texas Rangers.
1: Yeah, I was, uh, to be honest, I was really, really, really looking forward to this for a long while, and it did just let me down. I do like, I want, I would have liked more... Action, for example. I would have liked to see clear, more clearly the gunfights uh, and so forth. I got the thematic stuff he was going for and the stories he wanted to tell and how, like, in the end, Ned Kelly seems to almost be a victim of overmothering, and it, like, And that's all in the book, and that's one of the things that makes the book interesting. But the book also has a real sense of adventure, um, some great gunfights in it, that kind of thing. And I just don't quite... Th- 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 this kind of seemed to be half set in a in the sort of universe that the mighty boosh is set in. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It didn't feel it's real a bit like
0: what was what was that one film we watched Bunny in uh, the Bull, but yeah, Bunny in the bull
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that there are yeah there are elements of that, I know what you mean mm. um and yeah, <laughs> and have you do you know the I'm going to just keep calling it heat ledgers Ned Kelly do have you have you seen Heat ledgers Ned Kelly?
0: Nah, yeah, that's the Gregor Jordan one. Nah, yeah, yeah, John
1: Michael McDonough wrote it as well. Um, oh right. Yeah, yeah, Martin McDonough's brother. But um, it's I, it's really good. But I mean, it's it's you know, it's a slow kind. It's like a western. It's like, yeah. That one that one had
0: quite a negative reception. But can you remember why the other that 2003 version was criticized? Was it just for being slow?
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: I would I would take slow all day over the Sons of Sea. How do
1: you like your westerns? I like mine languid. I want mine (laughs) to turn people away who don't like westerns. I don't think think anybody who's not arsed saying the full title of The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, I don't think they should be allowed to see the fucking movie, quite frankly. I agree.
0: That's exactly, that's what I would go for. 100% Assassination of Jesse James
1: by the coward Robert Ford. Which is an amazing film. And actually, mm. that's why, that's one of the reasons, one of the other reasons I ended up ordering that book is because I, I had recently, I, around that time, I had read Ron Hansen's nonfiction book uh, on which Andrew Dominic's film is based. And that is superb. I really, really recommend that book, the the title of which is The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert <laughs> Ford. <laughs> it's
0: good. It's a good title. It's yeah. Catchy. Real catchy title, ain't it? Anyway. Uh, I got to say this. Uh, here's Go one on. of the problems for me. I think George Mackay is not charismatic enough. He's not uh, Daniel Henschel. He's not uh, Caleb mm. Landry Jones. Yeah, he's he's ripped. He's absolutely shredded. Yes. Good for him. He's got a mullet. Yes. His accent work is a bit dodgy, much like uh, his role in Sunshine on Leith being a Scotsman. I don't know. I just... He, uh, I, I can watch you know him who and go. Worked? Okay, but he just he just doesn't sell it to me. Who?
1: Well, apart, like apart from some ma- some major changes, I would make to I don't, you know some of the structuring as well. But who would have worked better is there in the film in front of you, Charlie Hunnam? Put him as your Ned Kelly. I
0: don't know, man. I don't know about that, man. <laughs> or Nicholas Holt, even and from Newcastle. Yeah. Well, I, I I like Nicholas Holt playing evil bastard. So I think he's a good bastard. I, I don't know. I don't know if, if he can carry a film as like a leading man. Mm. I can't think of any examples. I know he was the lead in Warm Bodies, which I haven't seen. Nor I. I can't think of anything else where he's carried a film successfully.
1: And you must have been very happy with um, Thomas and Mackenzie's side boob. I'd say that was, that was all right for Andy, was it?
0: That's, you do, <laughs> you've, <100, laughs> you've ruined, <laughs> you've spoiled what I wrote for her for cast. I just wrote side boob. <laughs> <It's> nothing else. <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs> I literally wrote side boob. <laughs> I thought it was a great performance. Said thought she was one of the best. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Totally.
0: But when she spoke, I wasn't such a fan. That wasn't so good. Mm. Nah, I
1: thought she's fine. She's grand, she's yeah. get a wee- It's. I think with, with you and I and this film, it seems to be a, clear, a clear-cut case of what exactly he's selling, neither of us are buying. I think that just seems to be it.
0: I think you've talked about this before with Colin Farrell and the uh, lobster and a couple of other people, but like Mm. when Russell Crowe's on screen, you're like, yes, that is a movie star. Yeah,
1: yeah, totally. Totally. I got that feeling in this one as well. That's what you're looking
0: for. Absolutely. That is, he's on a whole other level than anyone else.
1: Yeah, totally. Like that's, you know, that scene where he's uh, torturing Charlie Hunnam? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like (laughs) that literally feels like hey uh, little boys move over daddy's here to piss on your patch. <laughs> like really <laughs> uh, In that scene i i I, was, I took the, a very similar note to you i was like oh jesus christ he's just shrinking these men into dirt
0: yeah one of the things that uh curzel did for the film is he got george mckay earl cave and the other boys to play together as a band called fleshlight for one night only i've heard that they yeah. recorded some songs and put them out i'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes but so like, Curzel sees the Kelly gang as being some kind of punk band, mm. which I eh, I I would I haven't read the novel at all, so I can't really
1: well the novel is voice like voice
0: any opinions about what that's like. But I would rather see a more traditional telling of this story. That's how I felt watching. I was like, I just rather give me give me a a real Kelly film.
1: Give me Heath and the Ledger's, yeah, rather than Fleshlight. Yeah, the film. No, sorry the 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 book is kind of by the numbers postmodern historical revisionism it's just giving you a, a different angle on the story um and the the film invests in it invests more in certain areas of it than others that's about that's about what all i could say it like curzel is very interested in his re, in his relationship with his mother which figures huge in the book as well but nowhere near as interested in his relationship with the mother of his child, or with the act of writing, which is a big part of the book as well. Which, fair enough, might be difficult to make cinematic. I think Curzel very successfully made his film. I'm just not sure—not so sure it's the Ned Kelly film I'm interested in seeing.
0: My understanding of the novel was that it's written from the perspective of Ned Kelly for his unborn child.
1: Exactly, except for the postscript, and so it's like, which is right, um, and some
0: of the language is censored. Like, uh, yeah. he senses himself to not swear because yeah, yeah. it's for his kid. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I like those kind of concepts from a novel. Mm. But, yeah, like you say, it's hard to portray that accurately in a film.
1: Well, also, it's hard to make a good film out of a great novel. Uh, I think Like, yeah, Kubrick or Hitchcock or one of those was very fond of saying that. Like, you can make a great film out of, a, out of an okay novel, but never the other way around.
0: Do you have anything else to say about that before we hit the cast? No, hit the cast. So we had George Mackay as uh, Ned Kelly... Uh, he is a, a mother of Irish descent and an, an Australian father. It's kind of hard to believe, given his accent in this. But I, as I mentioned before, he's done some wild accents in the past, mm. like his Scottish in Sunshine on Leith. His Southern in the Stephen King adaptation, Eleven twenty two sixty three the assassination time travel thing. He's, he's got a wild, wild Southern accent. Do you think if he's good looking?
1: No. No, neither do I. Do you think he's selling himself as good-looking? I think Hollywood is trying to have a go at it, yeah.
0: I think that's mad. He's great in 1917. I think that's the I type think that's of a role that he film. should be pursuing. Mm. And yeah, it's, obviously it's a slightly different level of quality to this, but he cites, uh, he's got three influences on his work, and they are Eddie Marsan, Viggo Mortensen, and Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor? Mm-hmm. Okay. Big influence on his acting, apparently.
1: Fair enough. I mean, by all accounts, Viggo Mortensen was great to work with uh, for everybody on Captain Fantastic. A film I think you only need to see once ever. (laughs) For real. I thought it was okay, but I'll never watch that again. But um, yeah, Conor McGregor. Eddie Marsan? Fair enough. Great actor. Also ugly. Great face. (laughs) Yeah, great
0: face. Mm. Exactly. Like, that's the kind of roles that George Mackay should grow into.
1: But Conor McGregor, (laughs) that's an odd one is there any further divulgences on that
0: no no i think he just likes the attitude that's what he's trying to the worst he's trying to create that type of (laughs) swagger yes but apparently he's quite method mckay Mm -hmm. but it's not he's just not interesting he's not like there's not like this kind of intrinsically interesting he doesn't have that star power unlike the next cast member russell crowe who played harry power hell yeah Born in New Zealand, he lived in Australia from age four to fourteen. He released three singles as Russ LaRock in the early eighties. None of them charted. Would you like to hear a little (laughs) one of his songs? Well, this great song is called I Just Wanna Be Like Marlon Brando. You get the idea. I do, yeah. <laughs> he was also heavily criticized for his singing in uh, Les Miserables, playing the role of Javert.
1: Have you listened to any of that? I've watched that film a couple of times. I really like, oh, I really wow. like that film. Yeah, I think it's great. Well,
0: what about this?
1: Five years for what you did. The rest because you tried to run. Yes, 24601. Oh My name is Jean Valjean. Confrontation. And I'm Javert. Do not forget
0: my name. <laughs> Do not forget my name. A man
1: like you can never change. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. I like it.
0: I don't know. <laughs> 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 He's, I like, but that's that's the thing about Russell Crowe. He's insane and he doesn't care. Yeah. And that's why it works. And that's punk. Like, that's true punk. He's like, he doesn't give a shit. He's just a madman.
1: He is a madman. I'd man. say him,
0: Caleb Landry Jones, when we get to Nitrum, similar thing. Yeah, the insanity of thinking that you should have a band, <laughs> 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 of thinking that you should release albums. Both of them have put out albums.
1: Yes, they have. So, What's a uh, madness? Crow's band's name is Forty uh, Odd Foot Grunts. Is it? Is that what it's called? Uh,
0: he had a couple. One of them is, I think, it's called Thirty Odd Foot of Grunts, and then he had another band with the same initials because he wanted to maintain T O G. O-F,
1: Wait, what does that which mean? Which
0: I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know what that means to him, but he just decided like, oh, I wanted to just, I want <laughs> this is what I want my, my music <laughs> to have these initials. For Go on, reason. Russell Crowe. My favorite uh, Russell Crowe trivia was on, on the 9th of March, 2005, Crowe revealed to GQ magazine that FBI agents had approached him prior to the 2001 Academy Awards and told him that the terrorist group Al-Qaeda wanted to kidnap him. He recalled it was something to do with some recording picked up by a French policewoman, I think in either Libya or Algiers. It was about taking iconographic Americans out of the picture as a sort of cultural destabilization plan.
1: <laughs> he's Australian. Well, he's, yeah, he's New
0: Zealand Australianer, but he was still, in 2001 at that point, iconic. Yes. After Gladiator, an, an iconic part of uh,
1: Hollywood. I remember. Um watching him in Body of Lies and just going, good Christ, how much weight has Russell Crowe put on? He became a big well, fat guy. Oh my God, he's the, older. There's a shot he of his um, of his bunioned feet. <laughs> that is grim as fuck.
0: While Crowe can still be found circumnavigating the globe with his best friend Tugger,
1: the tugboat. <laughs> making movies, making songs and fighting round the world. See you next time, everybody. A brilliant example of Necessity being the mother of invention with South Park. That's a whole episode, I believe, of them going from house to house so they don't miss the trailer for the new Terrence and Phillip movie. And then (laughs) this uh, this show keeps interrupting the commercials rather than the other way around. And then in the end, they didn't get Shelley, Stan's sister tampons, and the house explodes with period blood.
0: Nice. It's a solid episode. Indeed. So next up was Nicholas Holt as Constable Fitzpatrick. Oh what a day. What a lovely day. It's straight, he's had an interesting career as well. I he mean he goes back to about a boy in two thousand and two, then he was in Skins, he was in X-Men as Beast, Fury Road, the favorite. As I said before, like I think he's a good he's a good bastard. Mm. He's a good side character, but I just don't think he has enough charisma to be a leading man. I thought he was good in this there's some very disturbing scenes. I didn't understand, maybe after you as a book reader here maybe saw, saw more of the, the characterization, I couldn't really put together why him and Ned Kelly had sort of become friends.
1: Yeah, that's a weird one for me, uh, that whole little passage, because they don't really sort of become friends so much. It's more of a Bit of a tit-for-tatting going on, I suppose, because Ned spends more time in prison. Well, Ned spends time in prison in the book. I don't think that that's in the film, is it? He doesn't really. No. He doesn't do any time. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he does some time in the book.
0: Yeah, he spent like three years in jail. I don't have anything else to say about Nicholas Holt. Fuck him. Next up is Essie Davies as Ellen Kelly. She is uh, Justin Curzel's wife and has been since 2002. Yes. She's from Howbat in Tasmania. That's right. She appeared in Baz Luhrmann's Australia in two thousand and eight. Your favorite film?
1: That's right. I believe she played Australia. <laughs> That's correct.
0: She was Miss Australia. I still, I as I've mentioned before, yes. I'm sure on this podcast, I like Australia. You have. I want to go back and watch it because maybe it's actually awful, but I re I, it really moved me.
1: I remember watching it in the cinema, just go like, um, and all the press around it was. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't
0: very tasteful, right? It was like. No, it was the the opposite. I don't know. I thought they criticized it for being like a whitewashing of history.
1: Well, no, because the thing is, a lot of the marketing around it was they were giving the Aborigines like some proper representation in the story about Australia. But when they're doing that, they actually give them magical powers. Is that not accurate, though? (laughs) I don't know. You're telling me that's not real? I just thought it was a bit patronizing. You know, it'd be like if, you know, Britain made their apology movie about Ireland and like all the men in it had massive penises. Actually, I would love that. What am I talking about? OK, fair enough.
0: Having magical powers. I don't know.
1: I can't remember what it is in the film. I think they're able to talk to the animals or some shit.
0: Again, is this not accurate? Essie <laughs> Davis played the lead in The Babadook. Great film. Yes. I still haven't watched it. I haven't watched any of uh, that lady's films. Jennifer Kent. Jennifer Ken, and she also uh, directed The Nightingale, I believe. Yes,
1: also very good, but The Babadook oh, is a Stone Cold classic.
0: I like Essie Davies. I think she's very good. What did you think of her accent? Oh, right. Sounded vaguely oh, yeah. sort of Northern Irish.
1: No, that was all right. Her Irish accent. I it thought was she was fine. Yeah. I thought
0: she was fine, but I'll didn't. I, you know, I'll judge the people doing Scottish accents. I don't want to comment on the Irish accents. As a matter of fact, Next now that you was... mention
1: it, did, 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 George McKay didn't really do anything of an accent, did he? For this. The attempt
0: that's what was that's what I thought was weird. His father's Australian.
1: <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, that is.
0: Next up is Sean Keenan who played Joe Byrne. Uh Keenan played John Grant in the twenty seventeen TV series of uh, Wake and Fright.
1: Oh right. Okay. I thought you were talking about John Grant, the American musician who lives in Iceland and has AIDS. That's <laughs> right,
0: yes. And they, they they cast him as that John Grant, but in a retelling of Wake and Fright.
1: Oh, that's odd. So
0: he woke up in Iceland with AIDS and then was trapped. He had to. He was living with Doc and all kinds of things. I would like to interject well, and just say,
1: I, I believe John Grant is is only HIV positive. I don't believe he has full-blown AIDS. I'd just like to yeah. make that clear.
0: No, I, I don't want to make light of this, John Grant, because I'm not familiar with him at all. But in the real Wake and Fright, in the film, mm. I mean, it was 1972, so it was fine. But I could imagine getting HIV
1: Oh yeah, from just walking through that town, <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: just being anywhere near it, being in the same country as it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: but fair play to old John Graham. great movie. I don't know him; it's a good guy, enemy of the show. Next up was Thomasin McKenzie, side boob. We talked about her in the <laughs> we talked about her in the Lost last night in Soho episode. I don't remember what we said, so I'm just mm. going to reiterate side boob.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's good in that though.
0: She's fine, and she's doing an accent as well. Mm. In this. And she was doing an accent in, in last, last Night so Yes, she was. She's doing accent because she's a New Zealander. Cornwall. Originally, like Russell Crowe.
1: Yes. But he considers himself Australian, I believe.
0: He uh, He's applied for citizenship uh, multiple times and been turned down.
1: Nah, mate. So good luck with that.
0: Nah, mate. Like that. He just needs to fight more people. Next up is Charlie Hunnam as Sergeant O'Neill. Born in Newcastle, he moved to Cumbria at age 12. Studied at Cumbria College of Art and Design in Carlisle. He was discovered in a JD Sports on Christmas Eve and was cast in Biker Grove. Biker, Bike Ah <laughs> Grove. Biker. Ooh, Biker.
1: Excuse me, sir. <laughs> I know you're just here in JD Sports and that. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's not the right
0: accent, but okay. Sorry,
1: I'm not, good at, I'm not good at accents.
0: Well, I don't know if this was in Cumbria or not. In, in Scumbria or if it was in Newcastle. If it was in Newcastle, we'd Aye, you'd be really good in our show, Biker Grove. We'd let you cast you. <laughs> Let it cast you, man. Well, oh, that'd be pro- uh, proper uh, belter. <laughs> yeah, bro. proper belter, man. i am going to be in bite a groove. <laughs> At age 18, uh, Charlie Hunnam was cast as Nathan in Queer as Folk. I'm doing it. I'm fucking I'm doing, doing it. I'm fu- Stuart Allen Jones.
1: Yeah. That's what I
0: don't know what happened to Charlie Hunnam. I, I, I don't, I, I realize that this is a bit pot kettle black talking about accents because my accent's all over the place as well. But. I wonder exactly what happened to Charlie Hunnam. He got he was uh lambasted for his attempt at a cockney accent in Green Street in 2005, uh, which was on it's been on many lists of worst accent ever.
1: Hmm. I have not seen and Green And he does Street. feel
0: a bit con Oh, it's, it's not bad. It's not a bad film, but Charlie Hunnam as a cockney is I is did see a cameo up there.
1: with uh a, a cameo video with Elijah Wood recently. Addressed to my sister and her friends on New Year's Eve, where he said <laughs> that he knew that they had uh, that they that every year they watched a Lord of the Rings extended edition marathon, and he said he was very pleased to hear that, etc. My sister's never even seen Lord of the Rings. Somebody's <laughs> been lying to Elijah Wood.
0: Someone's lied to Frodo. Yeah. That is horrendous. It is. It's not it's good. It's a crime. It's not good. Charlie Hunnam from 2008 to 2014 played Jacks Teller on Sons of Anarchy.
1: Yes, you Sons Just of be- Anarchy fan? What? Are you no
0: I never watched a single no, I never watched an episode of that
1: No I like watched it for a couple of seasons, and then I suddenly got the sensation I was like, this feels like watching somebody play Grand Theft Auto, and I've since noticed this structure in other TV shows where it'll be like there's a very clear mm. A to B arc set out for the season in episode one but there's, mm-hmm. there's 14 episodes. How are we going to do this? All of a sudden, they get to episode two and somebody goes, oh, uh, no, you can't get past this part of the story unless you go over there and get that thing. It's like, all right, I guess we'll do that for this episode.
0: Solid storytelling. Mm. I love it. Just before he was cast on Sons of Anarchy, he sold a script uh, to Plan B, to Brad Pitt's company. It's a story about the history of Vlad the Impaler. Okay. And he, he learned the story while he was filming Cold Mountain in Romania.
1: Oh, he's good in Cold Mountain
0: he is good in that mm.
1: what's that line that you but, uh, have from him in that
0: <laughs> confidence youth confidence youth yeah yeah that's it like why do you think you're gonna kill me confidence youth yeah he uh, yeah so he, he wrote a script about Vlad the Impaler that he sold he, he, he made a lot of money off of sweet and it's, uh, it's, it's still it's never been made it's in production hell over with all Bradley Pitts next up was Marlon Williams as George King he's a New Zealand uh, singer songwriter as a solo artist, he opened for uh, Springsteen and the E Street Band, and uh, he appeared in A Star is Born after uh, Bradley Coopham saw him playing at the Troubadour and personally asked him to uh, appear in the film.
1: That would be a tough opener, wouldn't it? Like, who gives a fuck who's opening for Bruce Springsteen <laughs> and the E Street Band, especially if you're as, as, as much of a nothing as this guy. No offense, George King.
0: Oh my God, it's Marlon Williams. <laughs>
1: That's his it's a real name. Fairly thankless role, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess he was cast because they knew he was going to have to sing a song at one point, mm. which he did nicely. Better than uh, Russell Crowe. Again, as we've proven, is not hard. The other cast member who's connected to uh, a musician is, uh, is is Earl Cave, who played Dan Kelly. Son, He's the son of Nick Cave. Oh, well, that's not the twin one that brother died, of, is it? No, yeah. Twin brother of Arthur Cave. He's the one who sadly died after falling from a cliff. mm Poor old After lad. Uh, trip, tripping on LSD in Brighton back in 2015, was he high I on LSD Earl Cave at the was time? Good, yeah, yeah. I thought Earl Cave was excellent. Uh, well, I thought Earl Cave was good. I don't want to say excellent. I, or maybe it was a character that I didn't like very much. But he's got this like amazing sensitivity to him mm. that I really liked. I wasn't familiar with Earl Cave at all before. I think he was in End of the Fucking World as well,
1: which was a great show. I really enjoyed that show. I haven't
0: seen it. It's good. I'll check it out. Yeah, so that's everyone. You've got a pretty talented cast, although, as I've mentioned, I feel like George Mackay, Nicholas Holt, and Charlie Hunnam are at this slightly lower level where they can come in and do character work, but are not really going to be able to carry a film by themselves. But although I didn't mind Charlie Hunnam in um, Lost City of Z, Mm. Z. (laughs) Zed.
1: For me, he was... um... Very much overshadowed by Big Fat Baddy, whatever that guy's name is, who I (laughs) love. Yeah, Angus McFaddy. Oh, he was brilliant. Best thing in that film by a a stretch, Marks. Shall we move into the plot?
0: Let's do it. This one I'm just going to read the Wikipedia plot synopsis, largely because there is one, and secondly because I wasn't a huge fan of the film. Based on Peter Carey's novel, the film is a highly fictionalised account of the life of Australian bush ranger Ned Kelly and his gang as they flee from authorities during the 1870s. I didn't know what a bush ranger was before this.
1: It's like a a, a power ranger, but out in the that is correct. Yeah, but out in the wilderness in Australia, basically.
0: It's actually groups of guys who go around uh, looking Robbing for people.
1: ladies. Oh, looking for ladies. Yeah, nice.
0: They're bush. They're bush rangers.
1: Nice ladies. And
0: often all mm. they find is a bit of side boob, though. It's enough for me. Yeah, I didn't know what a bush ranger was. I, I, I've been. It's like a highway dipping man, a is little it? bit into. Yeah, exactly just robbing people often they were uh convicts who'd been released
1: i was a highwayman along the coast roads i did ride sword and pistol by my side many I believe a young- that's a
0: russell crowe song
1: no no that beautiful do you know that song
0: yeah i uh, i sing it all the time
1: it's a good song
0: i normally do the rap version i just i feel like bush ranger sounds more positive than it is
1: yeah, it sounds like. Um, <laughs>
0: You're once a, a jolly
1: swagman camp by a billabong, but even actually, if you ever, you know, for all the silly Australian lingo in that song, have you ever heard what it's actually about? No. So it's about uh, a homeless guy wandering around the bush, basically. That's what a swagman was, who kills a sheep to eat for his dinner, and then uh, the local lord who owns the sheep hangs the uh, swagman um, by the neck until he's dead, and then his ghost haunts the billabong. All I heard of that was just
0: "Get eye, mate. So I Might." That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. From what you just
1: said, do 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 <clears throat> do. That's me doing men at work.
0: <laughs> That's nice. Deedle, deedle, dee, dee. Although the following facts are not made clear in the film, in reality, Ned Kelly's father, John Red Kelly, Gentle Ben Corbett, was an Irishman transported to a prison colony in Van Diemen's Land who eventually settled in the colony of Victoria, Australia. After marrying Ned's mother, Ellen, played by Essie Davies, the Kellys settled in a rural area northeast of Melbourne. Before the film's narrative begins, Red Kelly has had numerous brushes with the colonial police forces. Toward the start of the film, he has another confrontation with the constabulary, which results in his imprisonment and death. When oh his no. son, Ned, playboy Lando Schwitt, is 12 years old. Ned is a courageous and compassionate boy, in one instance jumping into a river to save another boy from drowning. Ned is shocked when he finds evidence that his father that's n- that does in the in the film though. carrying out his outlaw rights, which
1: you don't you don't hear about him saving the boy in the film, yeah, you do well, you hear about it, but like it's a whole thing in the book, sorry, yeah, yeah, you're right, what I know that's-
0: i mean he gets his he gets his little sash he yeah. goes and visits that boy's family. the mother calls him a hero. the mother comes back and tries to tries to uh get Ned to go to private school and mm. remember, and then gets into a big fight with Ned's mom,
1: yes. Which I think, I'm on the side of the, uh, the rich lady there. I think she should have just, yeah, go, get educated.
0: I was reading a little bit about the real Ned Kelly. In that final shootout in real life, he was wearing that sash under his armor. Really? Yeah, the sash my father wore. Ah. Long live the sash and other sectarian highlights. Ned's mother attempts to provide for her children by running a still, or ya Providing sexual fibres to Sergeant O'Neill. You Charlie said she Hunnam. bean
1: like it was an uh, an Australian word. It's actually an <laughs> I Irish word there. Why, why she, okay. yeah, it's, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> an Irish one.
0: She bean, has she? She bean. She done bean. I know. She's a she bean. I'm sorry, I don't know. What, you're right. I didn't know why it was. What is it? Is it like for making alcohol? She bean
1: house. It's like an unlicensed pub. Ah.
0: You learn something new every day. Providing sexual favors to Sergeant O'Neill, Charlie Honum. Uh, wait, wait, that's the wrong accent. Providing sexual favors to Sergeant O'Neill, Charlie Honum. Taking on jog? a series of lovers. <laughs> taking on a series of lovers, eventually including the notorious bush ranger, Harry Power, Russell Crowe. Yeah. Power takes on young Ned as an apprentice and provides him with knowledge of the land, hideouts, and strategies for bush ranging. Under pressure from Power, Ned shoots Sergeant O'Neill but refuses to kill him, despite Power ordering him to do so. Ned leaves power and returns to his family settlement infuriated since he has learned that his mother essentially sold him to power. Ned is soon arrested and sentenced to three years in prison for shooting O'Neill. After his eventual release, Ned, now played by George Mackay, returns to his mother's house as a young man in his late teens. The film is set is split into three sections. Uh, I didn't really notice the first one because it was carved into a tree. It said, Boy, boy. yes. And then later it says man, and then finally monitor.
1: Monitor, named for the American Civil War ship. The USS Monitor, Mm. or as I like to call it, the US Monitor. The US Monitor, yes. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating um, ship. Uh, It only went went out once against a similarly armored ship, and the two kind of duked it out in the middle of a bay, and that was the only two times they were ever used.
0: And then who won? The Monitor.
1: I can't remember who won exactly, but I mean, the other ship was similarly armoured, and it was... An ironclad. Is that what it's called?
0: I believe so. Mm. I remember that from playing some civilization game or something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. But yeah, yeah, it's an interesting instance in the Civil War. They just duked it out for the afternoon, and that was the end of that. I like it. Mm.
0: During a visit to a brothel to return dresses stolen by his younger brother, Dan,
1: Earl Cave,
0: and Dan's friend, Ned meets a prostitute who is a young Irish girl named Mary. Side boob <laughs> Falls in love with her and begins his first sexual relationship. Ah, his first sexual relationship with a woman. Ned eventually becomes an outlaw after a visit from a local police officer, Constable Fitzpatrick, Nicholas Holt, to the Kelly family. The constable attempts to woo Ned's younger sister Kate to whom he has given a dress. After his mother Ellen attacks him, Fitzpatrick pulls his revolver on the family and Ned shoots him in the hand to defend them. Warrants for the arrest of Ned and his younger brother Dan are issued. What did you make of the Sons of Sieve stuff? Because that's all, was it all invented
1: by the author, right? Yeah, that's completely invented by the author. Um, I don't know. It serves kind of more of a purpose in the book, I suppose, because it kind of serves to, it serves to offer some redemption to the character of his father, but too late, because the father's dead by that point. You know, because he thinks his father mm. his father was quote unquote, let's say a fairy, a, a ninny, a Nancy boy, a sissy. Um but then it, it turned
0: out he was a proud Irishman. Yeah yeah just following Irish tradition.
1: Basically like yeah the like the real IRA, so dresses and blackface. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um but yeah yeah it serves Beautiful. it's yeah. I think it more serves Cursell's um would be punk rock aesthetic in this film than it does mm-hmm. than it does any sort of an arc.
0: I think that's what bothered me about it was the you're right it just it felt like it was like hey this is pretty punk to really emphasize those parts i that's again is when i just felt like just give me the real story yeah give me, give me john Ledgers.
1: Hillcoat directing this or something like that give
0: you me know? orlando blooms give me all those people yeah exactly yeah that's what i want i want i haven't seen the proposition but i'm guessing oh, something like film. that yeah, I, yeah. when i think of hillcote i think of the road i don't know if i want it to be that grim no. certainly at least looking a bit like that Ned and Dan hide out in the hills which in reality were in northeast Victoria, that's a nice piece of uh, Wikipedia synopsis work there There you go, and are joined by their friend Steve Hart Louis Hewison and Ned's close mate Joe Byrne Sean Keenan, they later become known as the Kelly Gang as Ned more and more assumes the role of leader Kelly's mother is arrested along with her baby daughter because the baby daughter was a criminal and imprisoned in Melbourne as enticement for Ned to give himself up. Ned finds and kills Fitzpatrick. They don't really make a big deal about him killing Nicholas Holt. No. Four constables are sent to kill the gang after efforts to arrest them prove unsuccessful. The gang ambushes them at Stringy Bank Creek, where Ned kills three of them during a gun battle. I feel like Ned snapping and killing the constables, yeah. it doesn't feel earned in this film version. I can't get on board with the mindset where Ned goes like, "Oh, I spared FitzPatrick before. I only shot him in the hand. I spared the other guy when I was with Russell Crowe. I just it's hard for me in this telling of the story to buy that he goes like, "We need to kill these four constables" cuz he I think he kills the four constables before they kill uh, Holt. Yeah. I just I didn't buy that. Mm. I didn't buy that characterization of him going like, no, now we need to become psychos and kill everyone.
1: Yeah, it all kind of, it takes off. And that's something that's a little different from the book. He's kind of a more reluctant bush ranger, gunfighter. It's more like he's a sort of a surrogate father to the Lost Boys in um, the book. And ultimately it kind of spirals out of control. And really what he wants to do is escape to America with Mary. Is that even mentioned in the film? No, I like, don't he think so. Sends,
0: he sends Mary and the kid off to America, does he? Is that even mentioned at all? I don't remember that. I read that in the plot synopsis of the novel, and I thought, oh, that sounds quite interesting if you send Sideboob off to the US with the kid. In time, the gang is discovered to be in the town of Glen Rowan, where they take numerous hostages and construct several suits of plate steel armor for protection and gun battles. I'm the fucking monitor. One of the hostages is the crippled local schoolmaster and shitebag, Jacob Collins Levy who encourages Ned to relate the story of his life after seeing samples of Ned's writing. Fuck the school teacher. He's a snitch. Yes. He should get got. What a piece of shit.
1: Yeah. That, uh, I, you're just taking me back to the book now. That piece in the book is much better done. So what it, that section of the book, they're actually all in this hotel and the guys are
0: right, and that's what happened in real life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're in a hotel, so that makes sense.
1: And the guys are kind of folk heroes, and they stay there all night drinking with them, um, the local people. Mm-hmm. And then the teacher comes along and says, like, you know, they have a big sort of an intellectual conversation, and um, he says, like, like, he'll help him with the to put to edit together the stuff, and he'll release it as a chronicle, and then that's where the film, that's where the book sort of cuts away from Kelly's perspective. And then you go to an omniscient narrator and you watch the betrayal in real time and you see the gunfight from an, an omniscient ner- narrator point of view. And then you just kind of get a postscript like a historical document. Is
0: that even doable in film version?
1: I don't think so. Well, not certainly not with the switching of perspectives, but with the setting of the whole... Well, basically, look, they went for the whole surreality, the bunny of the bull side of things. So... Ugh. So, you know, maybe the hotel bar thing wouldn't have worked so well in that. But I, I, I think that version of the film would have been better, to be honest, as well. Agreed. The, in the book, and I don't know, this might be true in real life, in the book, he's like an old man who's kind of a cripple as well. And I think a cripple who betrays people is, you know, always better. And this,
0: in the film, he, I, I didn't notice that he was crippled at all. He just seemed like a, like a normal young guy.
1: Well, is, is he supposed to be crippled in the film?
0: I know it says in this synopsis one of the hostages is the crippled local schoolmaster Jacob Collins Levy.
1: Ah uh, no, Which, I'd say well, that, that that's the the actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd say they're just taking that from um history. Well, it ain't true. Yeah, yeah. Because Ned
0: I, and the gang plan to ambush a train full of constable cunts uh, sent to capture them by sabotaging the tracks so that the train will wreck. But the schoolmaster betrays the gang by warning the incoming constables. The policemen surround the inn where the gang is hiding and in a series of striking hallucinogenic scenes engage in a furious shootout, seriously wounding the armor clad Ned and killing the other three members of the gang. It's not a good like action I said, scene. I had to look away from the screen during the strobe lighting. I couldn't take it. Yeah. It was making me feel ill. I always feel like I'm going to have a fit. I never have, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> but it's coming. And I don't, I'm not, gang, I'm not having an epileptic fit for this. Make it worthwhile. You know, I would do it for, I would do it for Requiem for a Dream. Would you? I'd have a fit for that. Yeah. Yeah. Just a
1: little one. That has some Fitbits in it as well. It's got Fitbits.
0: And more than a side boob. The 25-year-old Ned is convicted of murdering one of the constables at Stringy Bank Creek and is hanged at Old Old Melbourne Jail after his mother sees him a final time and urges him to die like a Kelly. Die like a Kelly. His final words were recorded to be such as life.
1: Hmm, yeah, yeah, that's, that's accurate. Um, so pretentious. <laughs> oh, I'm I, glad he's dead now.
0: Are you? One of, uh, one of Ned Kelly's younger sisters lived until 1940. It's kind of mad. She was alive in the Second World War.
1: She must have made some all right bread from that. Yeah. Do you know who my brother was? If I can Ned Kelly. That would have done it all that's right. what she would say. What do you, like, what do you think he's going... Because, I mean, the mother as a character... I mean, she's not good. She's, you know, the cause of a lot, an awful lot of his downfall, isn't she?
0: Yeah, she's a typical Irish mother, I would say. <laughs> That's what it seems like to me. I don't know. Is is Are you blaming the mother for this? I would say that it's just circumstance. I don't know that there's a... <sighs> he was just born into, like, awful circumstances. His mother and father are not perhaps the best of people. Hmm. And it was just a crap time. I mean, look at like, I think the the film is trying to make a case of the English are bastards, which I can always get on board with. I have no problem (laughs) with that. I'll accept that from all angles. So they're kind of just saying, I mean, I think there was an argument that Nick Kelly was being unfairly penalized frequently or scrutinized by the law until he reached a point where he had to become a Bush Ranger Mm -hmm. because there was no choice. But I imagine he was probably a bit of a, a bit of a thicko as well.
1: Well, yeah, of course he is.
0: <laughs> he dressed up like a mo- like the monitor. <laughs> yeah, he dressed up as a boat. So I don't I don't like I don't know if he would lay blame at like individuals and just say the whole thing was a bit unfortunate. But he's also perhaps he's probably the most famous Australian in history. Yeah. He's he's had more uh I think more films made about him than any other Australian. More more books written about him.
1: I think Like a film about, correct me if I'm wrong here now, I probably am. No, I'm not. There's something to this. Like one of the first films ever was about Ned Kelly, I think.
0: Yeah, it was in like 1902 or something. Yeah. It's like, it's incredibly early. Yeah, it's a Ned Kelly film. 1970, you've got the one with uh, Mick Jagger, and it's also got Taggart in it. Taggart's in it. Mark McManus, because he moved to Australia, I think, when he was a a teenager. Hmm. And so he lived in Australia for years before he came back to Scotland and became Taggart. Good on him. Yeah, and then I guess there's been a few TV series. I would say that probably Gregor Jordan's 2003 film is, might still be the pinnacle, and I haven't seen it.
1: Nor I. Yes,
0: you have, the one with Heath Ledger.
1: Oh, right. Yes, I have. I've been wanking Gregor, Gregor on about like, it and everything.
0: Buffalo Soldiers. He was in Home and Away, and he got eaten by a shark.
1: Who, Heath Ledger?
0: No, Gregor Jordan, the director. He, he died in Home and Away.
1: As a character, not in real life? Yeah, yeah.
0: No, no, he died in real life in Home and Away. Okay. And then he went on to become a film director, that is correct. What although, a way to go. Although, to be fair, I think Ledger was also in uh, Home and Away, but he's obviously he's a rite of passage, and any living human in Australia has been in one of the soap operas.
1: Yeah, I think he was. I think he was... Um... One of, one, of, one of the many. I was looking this up the other day, actually. It's kind
0: of like military service over there.
1: Pretty much, for actors, yeah.
0: Conscription
1: and neighbors. So, I mean, at this point in Curzel's filmography, you know, you thought you've got them all figured out, and I have to be honest, I'm going to go on and talk about Nit- Nitrim now, yeah? Yeah, Nitrim, please. God, Mike. Well, I was fully prepared to dislike Nitrim. I mean, I'd heard the controversy before watching it, and while I can easily understand... That side of things, I think that the film and everyone involved, Sean Grant, Justin Kurtzel and his cast and all, they do an amazing job of avoiding what people were scared of while keeping it interesting and crucially uh, humane. I don't think you're ever on Nitram's or Martin's side at any point, which is important to you. But like, to those not in the know, by the way, the controversy stems from the subject matter itself, namely when a man named uh, Martin Bryant Massacred, 35 people dead, left 23 injured in 1998 in Port Arthur in Tasmania. 1996. It was 1996 in Port Arthur in Tasmania. Me and Andy will be making less jokes for the next next few minutes. <laughs> uh, it saw like, guns more severely controlled by the Australian government and close to a million bought back and destroyed. The controversy has arisen and is actually well chronicled in the uh, short film Les Rook that you sent to me. Uh, based on the surviving population, not wishing to grant more attention to a man who uh, murdered thirty-five people to get some, uh, the film to
0: Sean Sean Grant more attention.
1: There you go. The film, well, the short film, like it makes a valid. We wouldn't
0: be making jokes. You lied.
1: Uh, well, that was. I can only speak for me. I can only hope that was wordplay. It's fine. Well, the the short film makes a valid point and argues it well, but I still think if you've got an interesting enough take to drive you to create something, then you've just got to go for it, really. I think that, disturbing as the subject matter is, I can think of at least four other films, two based on real occurrences, that have tackled it with profound, thoughtful, and moving results. Um, A social critic called, what's his name? Theodore Theodore Adorno. He once remarked that to write poetry after Auschwitz is barbaric. But, like, I'd say when that poetry amounts to stuff like Elephant, Gus Van Sant's Elephant, Out of the Blue, about a New Zealand massacre, 22nd of July, and or We Need to Talk About Kevin, I think the argument could easily be made that uh, meditations on such tragedies are aided rather than obstructed by them. Um, and I know people would challenge how well and good this is for me at such a distance from such horrors like these, but I can speak only as a as a film fan, and for me... This works almost on the uh, on the level, not quite, but almost on the level of Lynn Ramsey's masterpiece. We need to talk about Kevin, and that's quite a level. I I really 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 enjoyed this. Um, I think I don't know. I, I I think all the horror that you are should feel watching a film like this. It just I mean, it builds and builds and builds, and it actually blows its horrific load about twenty minutes before the film ends. And you're just left begging for the credits to roll. Like, really? I think I think it was an astonishing film. I think it's comfortably Kersel's best film. Over to you. What do you think?
0: Yeah, this was the only one of these five films that I specifically wanted to watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's why I selected it for a
0: toss. And unsurprisingly, I mean, spoilers for when we talk about our ranking of the films, but this is my number one as yeah, well. Yeah, good. I think it shows so much more restraint than Snowtown, although it's covering, I won't say similar subject matter, but it's in a similar area of telling a true story, mm. making adaptations to what really happened in terms of, like, you know, a kind of dramatic telling of the story. But, Not many, uh, though. Some. There are some. It seems fairly accurate, but mm. I already knew this story because I'd read about poor Arthur in the past, and I did think it was a really, really interesting story because you've got this guy with a 66 IQ who ends up being friends with a 54 year old lady maybe kills her it suggests I mean it's It's, shown in the film that he kills her and certainly people have suggested that that's what happened when she dies he inherits half a million Australian dollars he flies around the world but it doesn't matter he can't get away from the fact that nobody likes him and people don't want to talk to him or spend time with him yeah. And then uh, there's a breakdown of events his father dies there's some suggestion in, in recently in some cores that he also killed his father and um, a few people have said that but there's just there's nothing that can be done uh, he was in a time period where he had access to guns mm.
1: it's almost parabolic and, for that like what happened in his life the opportunity that was given to him
0: and yeah, <laughs> that's the that, I think that's the most interesting part is yeah. like he was given he was just he was given everything that he w- could you would imagine he wanted mm. but it wasn't enough to overcome that he had the intelligence the intelligence to be frustrated to understand that like he he just couldn't he couldn't establish contact with people in a way that he wanted to
1: and where do you stand on the controversy that surrounds the film and more specifically that there are you know there are a lot of people out there that do- just think that this should not have been made at all not even considered
0: I think it is bad form that they didn't talk to the victim's families. The father of two of the young girls that died, Alana and Madeline Mikach, they were like six and three years old. Uh, he set up a foundation kind of dealing with the trauma of the event. And as far as I'm aware, Curzel and Grant didn't didn't speak to anyone, uh, any of the victim's families. They didn't film it on location. Mm. So yeah, that was a- one criticism was that they took money to another part of Australia.
1: I'll just say, I f- though... I, I, f- I mean,
0: on. I feel like the anti-gun stance that's thrown on the end feels like a bit of a... It feels like a bit of a kind of cop-out.
1: Are you talking about the title card like, at the end?
0: Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like that title card is put in to be like... Yeah. to as some kind of justification rather than them being honest, and the justification is it's an interesting story. It's like an yeah. interesting yeah, character yeah, sure. piece in someone... Who's not mentally ill? Like I said, 66 IQ. They found that he's got Asperger's, ADHD, but you, do- but not not suffering from mental illness.
1: But like the film doesn't need to be didactic like that. I mean, I'll just be running through the facts practically, and we'll discuss them when we're doing synopsis. But there's no synopsis of this yeah. available. So I was no, just, I, I I have I have keywords
0: for things that they showed in the film. But yeah, yeah we can we can do it that way.
1: There's not much poetic license taken with what went on here. Apart from like the focus on certain uh, on certain events and trying to sort of figure things out, so I do think you're right. I like I don't think they need to be didactic as didactic as they are at the end with this story. The bad form that you mentioned, not talking to the victims' families. Sure, i yeah I could sort of get on board with that, but I can also like I've heard the account of um, when Sean Grant got the idea to write the screenplay. Uh, he was living in the states and just there was two large school shootings within two weeks of each other. And obviously that would be, a, the Portara would be one that would be closer to his heart and where he came from. Um, so the, he was drawn to it, to write that story. And Kurtzel, when he opened the screenplay, felt a great pressure as well. I'm sure he did. Perhaps it was cowardly not to approach the families in that way. Perhaps they knew what would have happened, but regardless, I don't think it's exploitative. I don't think it's sensationalist. I think it, like, I think it's, dramatically tense the closest of anything i've seen to this is we need to talk about kevin
0: we need to talk about kevin yeah which again is as you mentioned before is definitely the better film mm. but it's hard to top lynn ramsey in fairness
1: yeah totally but the, like i would say this is i mean not only like comfortably cursel's best film but i think this is an excellent film and i actually would watch this again i'd take a little break i think a
0: lot but I think a large part of that is due to the casting of Caleb Landry-Jones.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, we can get onto that, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, regarding cast, you sent me a video of Caleb Landry-Jones talking about his most iconic roles, and everyone should watch this, by the way. Now, I'd previously practically disliked him on site based on the <laughs> type of character he tended yeah. to play, um, which after watching that video, i got to say, shame on me, because I've got to acknowledge yeah. that... Um, like it just speaks to his quality of an uh, to his quality as an actor because he seems like a really top dude. Like he seems he's
0: really really like cool.
1: Yeah, he seems interested and playful and grateful yeah, and down to earth and yeah. Yeah, he's originally from Texas and um, worked first as a musician. Uh, and he's in, incredible in the film, uh, but I still definitely, definitely won't listen to his music.
0: I listen to Beve. It's not really for me, but it seems fine. I think if anything, it just, it seems like it doesn't mesh together that well. Like the songs are all quite different from each other on his debut album, mm. which I think is not really a good sign.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he is, um, he's excellent in this. Holds the film together well,
0: you would, I, you, would, you would never guess he was from Texas.
1: No, never. i ask you a question. Like, do, do you, his, his accent's amazing. Do you ever feel sorry for him at any point in the film?
0: I feel sympathy for someone having such a low IQ. Mm. Like, and being able to function at all in society, to me, is a miracle. I mean, I don't think I'm a genius, but <laughs> I hope I have a higher than 66 IQ. But, like, the fact that he's able to operate machinery, mm. <laughs> fly to the, the fact that he's able to fly around the world is quite impressive to me.
1: He's so good in this role and the energy that he brings to it. There's, even when his mother is going near him, I feel like I'm watching somebody petting a snake. <laughs>
0: yes. There's a point where he's like beating up his dad. Yeah. Where <laughs> his dad's just going like, please leave me alone, please stop. Yeah, yeah. And he dies not long afterwards. But and he's just beating he, the shit yeah, out of I, him. I, I, he, he scares me. And yeah, I, I agree with what you say. It's like paying a snake. He's just, he's scary the entire time. It feels like he's going to flip out constantly. You never know what he's going to do. Mm. Shown from, you know, from some of the things that he did, like trying to grab the wheel and which, uh, you know, possibly led to the crash, but.
1: I'm there watching him with his parents and I'm thinking, my god, can they hit him? It's just hit him, just hit him, beat the <laughs> shit out of him. Or so, but he's bigger than and I, by, at the time like this film is set, he's 29 years old, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. It is very similar to Ezra Miller and uh we need to talk about Kevin. It's that same vibe. Just there's something broken. There's something wrong and nothing's going to fix it.
1: There's another scene in it where he tries to give a gun to that guy if I'm that guy, I'm leaving town.
0: <laughs> but you saw you, you saw how like Jamie the surfer guy that he yeah. tries to give the gun to, how he reacts it's is brilliantly played. He backs yeah. he backs away like while Homer smiling. Simpson watching uh, yeah. a pool yeah, with into, the, into the squishy yeah. girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he backs away back to his van, not not turning his back on him. I'd be exactly the same. I would be like just slowly back away. Yeah, yeah. Just back away cuz you you're, I mean, you've got to be expecting the worst. Although at that point yeah either leave town pro- hopefully notify someone about that that this, mm. in, this lunatic is going around with a bag full of guns
1: but you that's the whole that's one of the big um, horrors in the thing hopefully notify somebody notify who it's just uh, yeah demented to be fair i mean yeah
0: he was like he was in the system he was on a pension because cuz his iq was so low they the state realized that he wasn't able to look after himself, so he was living with his parents, and he was like drawing a pension. Uh, so, like, the state was fully aware of his condition, but he—he'd also the real uh, Martin Bryant had, had talked a lot about shooting people. Really? Yeah, he'd spoken a lot about killing people.
1: We'll get onto it.
0: We'll get yeah, we'll get
1: to that. Uh, Nitram's mum is played by Ozzy Merle Streep, Judy Davis, who's excellent in the film. Like really yeah. has something of that Tilda Swinton from Kevin, um, energy, yeah. but probably a, a a bit more tired, even like uh, yes, yeah, just just knackered because uh, she's older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: she's had to deal with like you know, Kevin is not as old in that film.
1: I I had a look at her filmography. I've seen a total of two of them, and both have been mentioned on this podcast already. So what are they? Uh, this and Marie Antoinette.
0: Oh, okay. But
1: she did a lot of work yeah, with that's Woody right. Allen. She's in Marie Antoinette.
0: Yeah, I looked through her filmography. I didn't. I realized I hadn't really seen her much either. But it's definitely a name that I've seen around. Like Judy Davis is, you know, her name rings out around mm. right here. So good on, good on it.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, great performance. Everybody, everybody's great in this. Let's to to yeah. say it off the top. Uh, Nitram's dad is played by Anthony Lapaglia, who sounds famous, um, but is less so. Uh, a bit, I suppose. He's been in a lot. So back in the 90s, he was in a ton of stuff. Then he was in that
0: Without a Trace show in the 2000s. That's right, yeah. I always assumed he was from the US.
1: No, he adopted an American accent in the early 80s to help him get work, and it worked. Uh, he plays football for Hollywood United with Steve Jones and Vinnie Jones, unrelated. And despite a similar status in the entertainment industry, his brother Jonathan once played himself in The Sopranos. Respect. Indeed. Uh, the only other cast member worth mentioning, I would say, is Essie Davis, again, uh, who mm. plays Helen. We've mentioned her. She shot to fame for me, uh, Donika Tiernan, when she starred in Jennifer Kent's excellent 2014 horror film, The Babadook. And she's been married to Justin Kurzel since 2002, but has only taken advantage of this fact since Assassin's Creed. She's great.
0: Have you seen uh, a photo of the real Helen? No. Oh, I should do that. She, <laughs> she does not look like Essie Davis.
1: Oh, she's an ugly old lady, is she?
0: Yeah, like, uh, I would be wanting half a million, <laughs> I'm saying. That's what I'm saying, just for hanging out, Oi. just for doing lawn work.
1: She would have actually appreciated one of the early episodes of the Call of Friendo podcast because she's a big fan of the music of Gilbert and Sullivan.
0: Yeah, and that was nice that we did. We got to hear some Gilbert and Sullivan. I may well put some of that. Uh, that might be what we opened the episode with,
1: a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. A little bit of Gilbert and Sullivan. Okay, so we, will we get into plot? We can discuss it as we go along.
0: Yeah all right cool it opens with that real hospital footage
1: yes absolutely chilling i went back and watched that again once the film was over and i found that yeah yeah, yeah. that's absolutely chilling uh, to be honest it,
0: i love i love how that's set up you've got this one kid who's talking about it opens with this one little boy talking about playing with fire and having his legs burned and needing skin grafts and then the interviewer says are you ever going to play with fire again and he's like no of course not and then you've got Martin Bryant, who got burned while playing with fireworks and kind of injured himself, mm. and he's in a hospital bed. And the interviewer says, are you going to play with fireworks again? And he goes, yeah, of course I am. Of <laughs> <laughs> course I am, mate. Eh? And then it cuts to adult Nitrum setting off fireworks outside his house, outside his parents' house and the neighbor screaming at him. It sets the scene nicely.
1: Well, I mean, it the, the footage put me to mind of a story that I'd heard recently have you ever heard of uh, this um, a mass shooter in the U.S. called Amy Bishop? No. So she was a biology professor, and during a routine uh, meeting in her biology department, she shot and killed uh, 12 people, right? Then, uh, yeah, she got the death penalty and everything, and then f- a few years later, just doing some background checking. Well, no, I don't know. I think a journalist kind of uncovered this and put all this together years earlier. She shot and killed her brother with a shotgun. Um, mm. Her eighteen-year-old brother. She was twenty-one at the time, and the, her mother called the police, but insisted to the police that it had been an accident. And it just kind of it brought me to mind in, uh, of this that for like her mother maybe saying that, and like you know the journalist who wrote the article was making presumptions one way or the other, but it's basically connecting the dots that it went back as far as that. Anyway, if you rewatch the opening footage of this film having watched it till the end i mean it takes on a little bit of a different meaning but not as much as you might think he's just a creepy kid he's quite creepy
0: apparently when i mean the real martin bryant when he was a kid used to torture animals Mm. and there was a few like he had some of the telltale you know whatever they say like serial killer type signs yeah something was wrong i think his his, uh, teachers all said he was kind of quiet living in a fantasy world
1: So after that fascinating opening, then, yeah, we see him playing with fireworks in his back garden in a scene that's almost comical when his neighbors shouted him to shut the fuck up, uh, which (laughs) which I thought was a little bit funny. He's got that kind
0: of, like, mischievous smile on his face, Mm. just being being a dickhead.
1: And he's got big... let's face it 66 IQ dungarees on <laughs> <laughs>
0: which he then takes off because they're dirty yeah, and it, sits down in his pants sits down his, his pants parents.
1: to eat dinner uh yeah uh, it is yeah it's grim
0: there's a lot of caleb landry jones walking around in his pants indeed there is features heavily in this film no side boob
1: so he's instructed to like just get the get the f-bomb out of there and get a job i suppose by his mother which he tries with very little success uh, by basically intimidating a woman and her children sticking his foot in the door and saying <laughs> he'll... who That woman reacts quite well, by the way. Could you take your foot out of the door, please? Could you take your foot out of the door? Yeah. Um, Thank you. And, uh, but then after that, he goes up beside a school uh, and <laughs> gives children fireworks to play with.
0: The kids the kids
1: love him. Yeah, they think he's great. He's popular.
0: Very popular.
1: Um, Next thing... Is his dad, who's a friend of the principal, comes to pick him up, and his father is just like, he's not having a good time. This is actually, uh, considering what's on uh, Anthony La Paglia's uh, CV, it's a really, um, just moving portrayal of a depressed man here. Yeah, I
0: thought he was great. Yeah. He's so depressed. He's just, he's got like a lovable little face, mm. and he just, he looks, he's so depressed. And he loves his son, time, as he should be. Yeah, and that's the hardest part. After this, he get you know, he. Takes Nitrim back into the car, and Nitrim's just sitting there honking the horn mm. for an extended period of time. But then they have a father son bonding moment. They go out to the uh, seascape, yeah, ho- uh, hotel place that they're planning to buy, yeah. And you know, and it, and the father's saying like, "This will be, you know, you'll help me to uh, to renovate the place and run it." Mm. And what- this is like, this is I'm doing this for you for your future.
1: Yeah, um, brutal, brutal. It is brutal, yeah. And then. We see a scene where Nitram goes along with his mother to kill uh, to uh, take more medications, um, and you do get the distinct feeling in that meeting that you're just like, why isn't this guy just in a home somewhere?
0: This is in the early
1: 90s as well, though, mm.
0: in Tasmania, so... Yeah, fair enough. I don't know. I'm even thinking about Scotland in the early 90s, like uh yeah mental illness probably wasn't dealt with that well
1: my god like some of the people that you would sometimes see walk in the streets in ireland just don't you sometimes just thank whatever you thank when you thank things that we don't have america's gun laws like really i'm so happy yeah. about that i am so happy that guns that i'm so happy that the state has a monopoly on violence where i live really i, I i'm on the record as saying that as far as i'm concerned
0: Scotland and Australia have a similar history to that because it was. I mean, it was the shooting here in Scotland that influenced Martin Bryant. Is
1: that accurate mm. that that influenced his thinking? Wow, because I yeah, <clears> I thought <throat> that would that might have been a thematic inclusion. I couldn't find anything to support that. That's interesting.
0: No, as far as I'm aware, that there's. Um, I think it's based on maybe some notes that he made, mm.
1: some planning that they found, but
0: they uh, originally believed he was going to uh, kill himself Nick. until he was inspired.
1: That. Next, when he's continuing on his uh, um, mowing grass scheme, he meets Helen. Now, Essie Davis is fantastic in this role because you instantly get everything about the character. I would say it's like mm-hmm. she's lonely. She's a bit of a damaged person. She's not crazy. She's not insane. Um, and I- Do you think she's also sort of mentally? I don't know. I don't want to say 66 IQ, but like is she snore? No, I, do, I I don't think she is. I think she's She's just damaged. Yeah, she's like like hyper timid or something something like like but I like I don't like she she reads and she you know, she's got a bit of culture in her, mm-hmm. but she's a recluse That's completely. And I think she, you know, look how many dogs she has. I think basically she sees Nitram as like a dog basically, something like that, you know I guess know? she
0: also grew up. I is a suggestion that she grew up rich. That yeah. Her family already had this lotto money.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, and you, you've uh, like you have a note here that says uh, what she lived with her mother who died from lack of care. In real life, uh,
0: the real Helen lived with her mother, hmm. and there was a period of time when uh, Nitro, my Martin Bryant was going around and mowing the lawn and doing those type of tasks, hmm. um, where basically. The authorities were called because Helen and her mother were living in horrible, horrible squalor, and they, like Helen, wasn't properly caring for her mother.
1: Very grey Garden. So a, sh- a, sh-
0: a short time after uh, Helen's mother died, and then Martin moved in.
1: She takes him to buy a car. Somebody basically sees her come, and she seems appears to buy a Rolls Royce and buys him a, a Volkswagen, I think. I think in real life, no, wasn't she a something
0: like she bought something like 30 cars when they were kind of living together
1: good god yeah and then basically he arrives home and tells his parents to staff it ma'am and uh, he moves in with a uh, helen again it's a brilliant scene wonderfully pay- played particularly by um what's it J- by judy davis in that scene just because you do get the sense of she both loves him and it's she's kind of welcoming this idea that he's going to leave like at that point, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, she like she's not completely opposed to it because it must be just awful. Must be so. And he's a I think like a uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Caleb um, Landry Jones put on some weight for the role. And I think it, it's very well done that because despite the fact that, you know, he moves slowly and, you know, he's not that intellectually strong, he's dangerous. He's a big burly guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I said, it feels like he's watching someone petting a snake. Anyway, he moves in with Helen. He's having a whale of a time. And then they go and have his birthday at Port Arthur, where um, his mom, his mom, he wanders off and plays with his dad. And he, his mom asks the question, so for you, is is this your son or your boyfriend, basically? And then she... Uh, I
0: don't know if that was like a, I don't know if this was I don't know if this really happened if this meeting took place at poor Arthur because I mean that's where he did the shooting so
1: I could I didn't come across anything like that um and it but it appears more of a screenwriting decision than a real life uh, thing mm-hmm. to be honest she tells um Helen this story about when they used to play hide and seek in a fabric shop and one day he hid from her for like an hour or so and laughed at her pain yeah uh, it's all like you know, it's all very coming to a head. I mean, it's, that's almost like a handover ceremony. That that sequence. Then the next thing we see is the dad loses the B and B, and he goes out to the car and weeps. Um, at this point, all Nitram does is pours the mints from the uh, real estate agent <laughs> on the ground. And thank God that was
0: actually justified.
1: Yeah, it wasn't great. They didn't, uh, you know, and particularly with all the money that he ends up getting. You know what I mean? He could have bought that shit anywhere. Yeah, loses. Yeah, p- I
0: yeah, and and that, yeah, never mind. Yeah, because that's
1: a question for real life. Is mm.
0: like, why didn't he? Well, because he's, you know, he was who he was. He is who he is.
1: So Nitram has this um, air rifle, which um, Helen tells him to get rid of because she doesn't like guns in the house. And he's like, "Can you not just buy me a better gun, like a real gun? Because I'm bored of this gun." She's like, "No, I'm not doing that." But he apologizes for that later, and they make a deal to go to Hollywood together.
0: He, he also seems to know enough about that gun that, like, when he moves into Helen's house, he hides it up the side of the wardrobe. Yeah. Like, he's well enough aware that she's not going to like it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Then, when they're on their way to the travel agents to get their tickets to go to Hollywood, uh, yeah, Nitra messes around with the steering wheel and the car. Well, that's
0: on their way to the airport.
1: Is it on their way to the airport?
0: Yeah. And that's supposedly when it, when it actually happened.
1: And yeah, he um, does his thing, messing with the steering wheel and crashes the car, goes rolling over, very realistic, horrific looking car crash, actually. He wakes up in hospital and Helen has died.
0: Then I think he was in rehab for months after that,
1: like in in traction, basically,
0: which is not shown in the film, but it's like a period of months for him to uh, get over that crash.
1: The next we see him, his mother visits him over in the other house, and that's the first we learn that all the house is his and all the money's his and she didn't have any family. He's inherited half a million. She takes him back to his dad, who she tells us all this money, and then he's like, come on, dad, we'll do anything. I'll give you all this money. Then he beats the shit out of him, beats the shit out of his dad in an unusual move. But And she looks on kind of. Yeah, it's weird that, that scene, bothered. isn't it?
0: She's, she's kind of i think she's also tired of 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 her husband and going like yeah i mean yeah so she's kind of looked like that might be a solution to her is like yeah you just need to beat him up a bit and maybe he'll snap out
1: of it yeah yeah and that's what uh, doesn't nitram says to her is like that's all you need to do you need to beat him up
0: yeah maybe she's you know not the most sympathetic or empathetic to the father's depression.
1: He goes out to a bar, takes up drinking, ends up smoking a bit of a joint with Jimmy. I remember you were talking about saying no to Snowtown earlier. I remember like when I heard, you know, Nitram is smoking a bong that I was going, oh no, that's the last thing this guy <laughs> needs is a bong. Supposedly the uh,
0: real Martin Bryant drank very heavily uh, in the in, months yeah, leading, up, in the to months the leading up.
1: I heard that, yeah. He tries to give cash to the Seascape owners. They Want nothing of it. He goes surfing, and it's just not good. Uh, Those
0: those type of scenes make me like I'm cringing through a lot. I cringe through a lot of this film of like him taking the big bag of cash to the the hotel owners, going like, "Oh, just take the money." I don't know what accent that was, but
1: with me, it's more stuff like a lot. Anything with that character Jamie makes me just blush. Yeah, because like I and I am nowhere near as cool or hot as Jamie, but I have been on the receiving end of you know. Attempts at friendship from mental people who I knew growing up. There's no easy way to put it.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's hard. Like,
0: the da- what was the point of the Jamie character? Is it just to show how Nitrim is not able to yeah, that's a, uh, connect with people? Exactly. And to. that
1: he wants to, as well, is an important yes. part of that. Yeah. He wants yeah. to, like. And we, as an audience, just even just to see the two of them, we're like, just don't, don't even. Jamie is being patient enough, I would feel more patient than a lot of people would be, you know? But
0: He's also being a bit of a dick about it too, though, because he's kind of, I mean, at least the way the character's shown there, because you can see after, you know, he's sitting in the car with him when they're smoking, going Nitrum, Nitrum, like, you know, he's trying to wind him up. Mm. And then he goes and talks to the girl that Nitrum wouldn't talk to. And you can hear, Something that he says is like, I don't know what he says, but he's kind of like, yeah, and I was just in the car with him. He's a fucking. No,
1: oh, right. I didn't pick up on that. Okay. He does yeah, make right. he makes some remark. Yeah, you're right, actually. Uh, fuck Jamie, and uh, Martin Bryant was a scholar man and a gentle. No. <laughs> Those are the words of Donna Coutinho. Indeed, yeah. Anyway, the dad dies. One of the more bizarrely true aspects of the story is he showed up to his father's funeral (laughs) in a blue satin suit and a black feathered fedora and his mother sent him away. That's true. He used to wear the the, uh, suit all the time and yeah, madness. Anyway, then he actually does go to Los Angeles, which is a strange bit in the film because it's like, we know this character and I've been to Los Angeles and just watching this character interact <laughs> with Los Angeles was making me go, guys, look out. <laughs> I think that's the most terrifying aspect
0: is just someone like this having money and you could yeah. interact. How often do you just walk down the street and interact with someone like this?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and you just have not that. Frequently. Anyway. Like
0: uh, I said, I think it's the one impressive fact is that him with his limited IQ was able to fly around the world. But... Mm. He the one thing that he liked I, I made a note of that the one thing that he liked about traveling was that when he was on a plane the person next to him couldn't escape
1: good god
0: so he would he would engage them in conversation also this was the early 90s so you know nowadays i think people are are, are way more primed to put their headphones on instantly yeah but just imagine being stuck next to him
1: on a plane oh my god he, my heart he, goes out you to him to you. yeah uh yeah th- this is the this is the the most powerful scene in the film, bar none, I would say. This is a, a, like when he goes to buy guns. Mm. That's just... My jaw hit the fucking floor with that scene.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe that that was possible. I mean, I understood that as a result of the shooting, Australia changed its gun laws. But mm. it's mad to me that you could just walk into a place and go like, yeah, I want an assault rifle. I want a shotgun. By the way, for and sure, they, the those are not selling actors. The guns. They're not actors.
1: No way. They're just... They're like, why would you hire actors for that role? You'd be get. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: you want someone who's a bit awkward.
1: Well, no, I mean a they, bit they, awkward, but, but also they also look well... like they're selling guns, and yeah, how well they handle them and everything like that. Yeah, and then yeah, he just uh, like lets him buy them without a, a, an ID or anything. It's just like, uh, and I...
0: he asks, they ask if he's got a license, and then he says no, uh, <laughs> but in the worst possible way of like, you know, like w- why would I need a license? What are you talking about? I'm just going to take these because I want to kill people, and they're like, oh no, that's fine. If you were going to buy a handgun. We would have needed, you know, you would have needed a license for that, but we can sell you all the other guns. No worries. Yeah. No worries.
1: And then um the next, the, like, there's a few scenes in between, but I would just like to say everything after he buys the guns, because I know, I know that the film did not, I, I knew going in that the film doesn't show the massacre. Yeah. So everything after that, honestly, I was just praying for a title card. I didn't want to see... <laughs> I didn't want to see any more after that. It just—I
0: think that's fair because it's uh, everything is kind of broken at this point. His dad's dead, Helen's dead. Nobody will engage with him. Then you've got the Dumblane shooting that he sees on TV, mm. and he's like, you know, he starts to he starts to put his own plan together, and that's it. Then it's like it's you're you we we had the scene that we talked about before where he offers the guns to Jamie, but apart from that, you're just you're all in it. He's like. Yeah, he's a hundred percent. He's ready. To, he's ready to go, and it's it's not it's not nice.
1: Yeah, and um, there's a the famous the famous bit of news footage from the Hamilton footage is shown, and just it's it's you know about the guy saying evil visited our town and we can't make sense of it.
0: How old were you then? Because I like I remember that very clearly. I was a teenager. I remember it very clearly, happened. and I was a child. It was, nine, nine it was Very and scary. I mean, I, I mean this this happened in Scotland, so like it was it was obviously it was very big news but that made that was a it was a massive change in terms of like gun policy like anyone who could prior to that people could go to gun clubs or they could you know own guns and and have access to them but that basically all went away and rightly so (laughs) i don't think anyone was really arguing against it i think it was just i think it's now looking back on it it's insane that people had access to guns prior to that
1: but that's the bizarre thing about it i've brought this up many times, It's despite the fact that I'm always trying to get away from it, what can I say? Better podcasts come from there. So I'm always confronted with this thing about America, and how everybody, you know, the whole freedom-loving aspect of it and everything. And it's like, and I've heard intellectuals debate both sides of the gun control law, right? I've heard that. And, you know, I've, I've, I've heard people lay it out a different way that, you know, you wouldn't change anything with that, but it's like, you just, there's no mathematics on earth you could show me that does not put the availability of guns in america and the amount of school shootings and general murders there next to each other and it's a really really fucking scary idea that that Mm -hmm. goes on and like i mean the fact that they put children through drills of what to do if a school shooting is taking place like wake the fuck up anyway yeah Um, And I'm like, I'm not like, you know, uh, some of the complaints were saying, yeah, 35 people didn't die in um, Port Arthur just to give America a cheap lesson on gun control. And it's like, I don't think this is a cheap lesson. I think the genuinely I think this is a really, really powerful film. I think a lot of I think people should watch this. I I really, really fucking blew me away. And then we've got the last bit just where um, he goes to Port Arthur, gets a juice and a fruit cup, finishes them and just starts shooting. And then you've got that sets title. His car- camera sets his yeah. camera
0: down and starts recording, which thankfully is a video that was never made public. Mm.
1: And then he just uh, starts shooting, and thankfully we're spared that. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know. Have you seen the Paul Greengrass film July twenty second? But that shows the no, whole massacre. I- and it's
0: yeah i i don't really want to i i've i was i've started that before and after five minutes i was like i don't know that i need to watch this i have to
1: say i i I think you should i think it's a really really great film this the whole second half is the court case where you break down the 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 ideology that drove the guy uh, is broken into and uh, broken down and uh, it's it's quite something but yeah the actual shooting scene is like nothing else i've ever seen like it's it's like have you seen them gus van sant's film elephant
0: yeah, I saw Elephant, but Elephant felt <clears throat> a bit more it kind of stylized. The bits I remember of Elephant are like the boys showering together and things like that. Like, of course it is. It went... Uh, <laughs> that was, that's the only part I watched. Mm. Uh, didn't didn't care for the shooting parts. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I turned those off. I, I, I muted the film and turned off my TV. I'll tell
1: you what, bits. though. People would like protest giving this film more attention, etc. But the thing is is like Watching a film like this, you would you could simultaneously realize, oh, this is not glorifying it, and then you're also thinking that you're also okay. Maybe those people who had a problem with the the film, The Joker, might have had a point because that does specifically glorify this viewpoint of the world a little bit. I would say.
0: I think like Port Arthur was a copycat of the shooting in Scotland. Mm. I mean, that's what has been argued. So I guess the fear is that anything like this could spark further copycats somewhere, mm. could inspire someone. I mean, the gl- I don't see that it glorifies Martin Bryant. Martin Bryant is uh, is absolutely reviled in um, Australia, as far as I'm aware. I, I read a, a, an interview with a prison officer who says that Martin Bryant is like barely verbal these days. Mm. He's serving 35 life sentences over a thousand year sentence and he exchanges sexual favors for chocolate he's certainly not being glorified. I think almost perhaps too far the other way. Mm. I mean, you know, it's a tough situation. I mean, the guy serving 35 life sentences, yeah, rightly so, but like, I think there is something to be understood about this. Yeah. There's something to be understood of like, of trying to find a solution that is not, that find a solution before something like this happens Mm. with someone of, of his, you know, IQ and, family situation, et cetera. I don't know what that solution is. I mean, there's probably some people who want to, you know, execute people like this mm. uh, early on. But I, I feel like society hasn't figured
1: out what to do with these people. And I think, like, I mean, with something like this, you do want a film that ends with much more questions than answers. Yeah. You know, which is what makes the films that I've named, uh, like, so so great is because they're handling something like this, non-didactically they're not you know they're not saying this is what ha-, you know they're 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 not offering solutions or critiques of you know or anything which is i suppose mm-hmm. again why the title card at the end is a little bit you know it's a little bit of a bummer in the end
0: yeah it just as i said it feels like a bit of a cop out of just going like well we didn't discuss this with the families we didn't get an okay with them but if we stick this thing about gun control on the end We'll probably get a pass, and we can sell the thing as like, yeah, it's about guns. Yeah, but I don't think it is about guns. I mean, I think no. in nineteen ninety six, it was about guns. Like the that that's was the the that was the outcome, that was the effect. Mm. But they the that title card is making a point that there are more guns in Australia now mm. than there were in nineteen ninety six. But I don't. Again, I don't live in Australia, but I don't see that that's really a relevant thing that's raised by the film.
1: No. Uh, despite the fact that the most powerful scene in the film is where he buys buy guns, mm-hmm. uh, right? Care if there to, are if there are millions of guns,
0: I mean, people are clearly
1: not using like, them the to massacre people. Yeah yeah, 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 exactly.
0: There hasn't been any. Yeah, no. Murders, which is a
1: worthy so. which is a worthy point to make. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I hate that fucking clinging to like <laughs> I hate that refusal to acknowledge progress that people that is so fashionable. <laughs> but anyway, uh, top five Carsel. Where would you go? Number five. I'd say number five uh, and number well, one are no mystery to, for either of us. Yeah,
0: number five is obviously ass to ass since Creed. Yeah, it was a almost no shit. ass to ass in it, and <laughs> uh, there wasn't uh, any Creed. I didn't see any boxing. No, very little. So
1: disappointing. What? You
0: uh, earlier in the week, you texted me and said you were watching Creed, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds good, <laughs> good to watch uh Michael Michael B. Jordan boxing." But then I realized it was ass to ass since Creed. <laughs> And it quickly I felt sorry for you.
1: Ugh. All
0: right. What's your number four? Well, my my num- my top five uh ranking basically is very similar to the IMDB uh user rating score. So my number four is the same as, as how they're ranked there, and that's uh true history of the Kelly Gang. Hmm. Okay. Which is on a which is on a six point zero on IMDB and is uh Curzel's fourth highest rated film or fourth lowest.
1: Mm yeah. I would probably have to put that there as well but with the caveat that I would watch that in a minute before ever looking at Snowtown again.
0: I yeah, I don't know. I don't know.
1: What's your number 3? Snowtown? My number 3 is Snowtown. Number 2 Macbeth, yeah, number too. 1 uh yeah. Yeah, same. It, yeah, yeah, by a distance. I, I, same, same. Yeah, uh, like, I mean, and I do think Macbeth is really good, but I, I just think, for me anyway, this is Justin Kersel's first film proper. I This is a really interesting, t- discursive mm-hmm. work that, you like, you know, it puts him in, now, not just because it's the same subject matter. Honestly, not because it's just the same subject matter. For me, it puts him in the conversation with somebody like Lin Ramsey. Like, this is a serious film mm-hmm. with questions that is well-made. And uh, I'm interested to see what he does next. You probably know. You always know. What's he doing next?
0: He's uh, doing a film of another Ubisoft game franchise, Watch Dogs. That's not true. I don't know. I don't know why he's doing. Oh, right. Hopefully nothing Ubisoft related ever again. Yeah. I, I think uh, I was thinking about the, like, I wonder if in Nitrum, the, the pulling back and the 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 restraint that they showed rather than yeah. you know all the violence of Snowtown. I wonder if that is progress or if that was, you know, like more of a fear of not being able to show that because of, you know, worrying about the families and
1: I I would go as far as I would I think it is. I would think because I can't imagine I can't imagine like Snowtown was good for anybody to make even. Mm. You know, it must have been really hard to to go through that. Um, and then you kind of, like... like One of the reasons that I couldn't possibly go near that again is I do think there are some things in it that are just fucking not necessary.
0: That I think it's powerful enough even suggesting things. I don't think you need to show them. Yes. If you do it the right way, I think you can suggest... You could suggest rape mm. in Snowtime rather than showing the scene of the brother raping the brother. And,
1: and like, the... I think one thing that he might have learned on his little dilly dally around is that, like, despite all the horror show, what makes Snowtown so compelling is its character work, really. And like, particular, like, it, it, as a character study and, you know, what drives somebody and where they can end up, you know, with a certain set of environmental factors in place. And I think that's what he brought to this, but shaved down, more polished. And yeah, I would be interested to see him do, I don't know, further character studies, I suppose. No more fucking ass to anyway. No, no. All right. Ass-to-ass is over. What are you tossing, fuckface? Well,
0: I have respect for a friend of the show, uh, Bob Saget, who sadly passed away in a Florida hotel room uh, a few weeks ago now, a couple of weeks ago at least. I decided to, to go for a film that he directed, Dirty Work, starring other friend of the show, uh, Norm MacDonald.
1: <laughs> How is Artie Lang the only surviving cast member?
0: Well, Ari Lang's septum has passed, unfortunately.
1: That's true, that's true. All right, mine is a film I've been meaning to get around to for ages, um, and then I was reminded of it even by uh, this director, uh, Céline, C- C- Céline, Céline Schema, I don't know if she's French. Yeah, I think Schema or something. That Her that latest thing? film, um, uh, Petite Maman, has made it onto a lot of top tens, a lot of top ones, to be honest. A lot of people say it's the best film of last year. So I'm talking about Band of Fields or English title, Girlhood.
0: Yes, this is a, quite a weird toss. It feels... Uh, I feel a bit bad to Girlhood if Dirty Work wins. I do not feel bad to Bob Sackett if Girlhood wins. I kind of
1: <laughs> want you to see Dirty Work,
0: though. <laughs> yeah, I kind of... This is the only way I'm going to watch Dirty... Well, it's not. That's not true. I would watch Dirty Work anyway. Let's see what happens. You got a coin?
1: I do. What are my options? So you got... Five and Cathedral of Spain. Mm, let's go five. I got five on it. I got five on it.
0: All right. Here we go.
1: Five. Dirty work wins.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry, girlhood. Dirty work would you wins. Li- would you like to know what you would have
1: won? I would like to know what I would have won.
0: Yeah, I was going to go for that film by uh, some scum or whatever she's called. And it's uh, that portrait of a lady on fire, which I haven't seen.
1: Ah, I have seen that. It's pretty good, actually, that. Well, I won't be watching that, unfortunately, because
0: we've got something far more high to watch, no doubt.
1: Uh, yeah, indeed. Well, look, I've been meaning to get around to this modern classic for quite a while. I don't know. Have you ever seen um Martin Lawrence's Black Knight?
0: Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> what? no i haven't <laughs> you haven't seen martin lawrence's black knight it is called black knight not dark knight isn't it it's black knight
0: <laughs> yes it's definitely called black knight
1: all right well fucking get ready fuck face because that's what we're watching well, <laughs> yes. oh, that's
0: gonna be a nice change of pace two stone
1: cold 90s classics <laughs> yeah.
0: i feel like black knight might even be from the 2000s
1: oh yeah you're right actually it came out the same year as spider-man but
0: I think it carries that '90s yeah. zeitgeist <laughs> perfectly.
1: It's a '90s taste in the mouth. Okay, we're going to be
0: We're
1: going to be uh, back next week discussing Scream, which is actually Scream Five. But Scream, when are you? Are you going to watch any other Screams? I think I'm going to make a go of it. I'll watch the ones I like, which is one, two, and four.
0: <laughs> hasn't, hasn't Scream Three got um, Jane Silent Bob in it? I
1: can't recall. I remember it being not good, like very not good. One
0: of the screams has got them in it as as those characters. Really? I think I think they're in Scream Three.
1: All right. Well, I don't remember that at all. So maybe I might watch it. Who knows? We'll, I don't
0: really care for the spoilers for next week, but I don't really care for the Scream films. So I'm just going to watch this this remake reboot.
1: All right. Well, and I'll do that. That'll so give well, you I a think nice.
0: I'll, I'll come from that. Yeah, I'll come from that angle. All right. What well, cool beans. angle.
1: Kurt Angle, yes indeed. Alright, look, things are getting out of control here. We've spent too long in just Justin Kerzel's yeah, head. Kurzell land. Alright, fuck. We spent two hours fourteen minutes there. But I mean you'll edit well, that. It won't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It fucking better not be. All right, cool beans. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.